That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Now, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Stephen Vaughn and Judah Newby with the bald-faced truth. Lock, end zone, it is caught, touchdown, Seattle! Smith and Jigba has put the Seahawks on top. Just like we said at the end of the show yesterday, Drew Locke's going to be throwing the game-winning touchdown pass to beat the Philadelphia Eagles up in Seattle. What a finish that was. I am Stephen Vaughn with Judah Newby. We're filling in for John Canzano. Uh, great game last night up at Lumen Field with the Seahawks beating the Eagles thanks to that Drew Locke game-winning pass to this rookie Jackson Smith and Jigba. A lot of drama leading up to the game. Expectations to go with the drama before the game. All the drama of... Uh, Who's going to actually start Geno Smith active, but then wasn't out there practicing and warming up. Sean Mannion, former Beeve, getting called up to the active squad. But who's starting? Well, it's Drew Locke. And he gets the touchdown pass, and the Seahawks get the dub. Now they're looking to hopefully continue this out and make the playoff run that Judy Newby wants them to make. I see he had a little extra smile on his face coming in. So let, I just want to get Judah. Just I know he's just beaming right now. He's you know excited to the gills. He can't get he can't get his excitement out enough right now. First off, Judah, you didn't sound very confident yesterday in Drew Locke, which I feel like it was deserved and based off Drew Locke's career and the way he's gone about it and uh his his performances. But how did you feel right now that Drew Locke makes that pass to Smith and Jigba? Seahawks get the win. Now they're seven and seven right in the playoff race again because they lose they're out of it they beat the eagles how are you feeling today as a uh as a 12 and a seahawk fan man i'm still a little stunned i'm still a little shocked uh in, in every way possible that uh drew lock drew lock went on a 92 yard touchdown drive with a minute and a half and one timeout and threw a game-winning touchdown pass on monday night football to a rookie to beat uh, James Bradbury and in turn beat the reigning NFC champions and keep our playoff hopes alive. Uh, I said it yesterday that as soon as I thought I figured out something in the National Football League, that I was certain about something in the National Football League, the exact opposite would happen. And that that's what went down last night in Seattle. Like, you know, everything, all the signs were pointing to uh, the Seahawks not being able to compete with the Eagles, whether it was Jalen Hurts was going to play, uh, whether it was Geno Smith was not going to play and therefore Drew Locke was going to get the start and play in this game, the way that uh, Drew kind of looked against the 49ers, which was he was okay, but he wasn't great. 
I said that Drew Locke is better than what people think, but he's also not the quarterback you really want in that spot, a must-win situation. And frankly, like it's not like he, he lit the world on fire, but the fact that he came through on that final drive with the honey hole shot to DK Metcalf down the sideline that DK hauled in, and then the throw over the top to Jackson Smith and Jigba, I mean, those are just two... Really beautiful plays, you know, probably lucky plays in some in some ways, especially the throw to DK. But, boy, if there was ever a good time to have luck and lock on your side, it was last night for the Seahawks, and 7-7 uh, seven and seven never felt so good. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I think, it, I think it's okay to look ahead now as we look ahead to, to uh, Week 16 of the NFL season and start looking at the playoffs and the playoff scenarios. Seahawks 7-7 seven and seven right now. They would be out of the playoffs. If the playoffs started today, uh, but you got the Vikings at seven and seven, the Rams at seven and seven, Seattle, of course, seven and seven, and the Saints also at seven and seven. And right now, the Vikings and the Rams would have those final two playoff spots. And you talked about the Rams and how well they're playing. You know, I, I think right now, if you're the Seattle Seahawks and you would have lost that game and gone down to six and eight, man, it's real uphill battle to get in. So it was a must-win situation. They got in. Um, you know, now you look at the the, the schedules going forward, Minnesota. They got a tough game with Detroit. They have two games against Detroit, actually, yeah. to end the season. That's not going to be easy with Nick Mullins as their quarterback. You look at the Rams. The Rams have a relatively easier schedule going forward. Uh, you know, I expect the Rams to get into the playoffs now, which you know a couple weeks ago did not look right. But you, you talked about the Rams yesterday, Judah, how well they've been playing and how they look like they can make a run. As they play the Saints this next week, which is a huge game, then they got the Giants, then the 49ers. Not an easy road, but you know that game against the Giants should be a win. Kind of whoever wins between the Saints and Rams may next week get into the playoffs, and then you look at Seattle going forward. You, know, you look at their schedule at Tennessee, hosting Pittsburgh, at Arizona. Three winnable games right there. I mean, I'm not going to say I think Seattle should make the playoffs now, but you know, <laughs> I feel like they, uh, they got a legitimate chance. And I think they have, out of all these teams that are left, they have the easiest of the schedules going forward. It's fun to be in the mix. It really is. And that's what makes today, you know, a day that I can come in with a smile on my face. And I fully expected to, to be a little depressed and down and, and, you know, the, the season's over. You think about how last year finished and, you know, Seattle, they're, Playoff destiny was out of their hands. They were going crawling into, into the finish line. Into week 18. They were kind of crawling, and they had to beat the Baker Mayfield Rams on the last day of the season. They did, but then they had to hope and pray that the Lions, the team they eliminated from the playoffs, could beat the Packers on Sunday Night Football in Aaron Rodgers' last game as a Packer, uh, which we would all find out eventually. And somehow the Lions did beat the Packers. You know, No one thought that they would, and then they did at Lambeau on the final day. So the Seahawks, you know, kind of had to back in their way then. It feels a little similarly now. It's just that, man, like you go from having lost four in a row against some tough teams, but, you know, losing four in a row, facing your fifth straight loss right in front of you, your backup quarterback's in the game, your whole season's on the line. You've, you know, somehow held the Eagles to 17 points, and then you go on that last drive to to win it. It's just shocking to me. But the ramifications with that is, yeah, you're alive. Are you alive and well? Yeah, you're you're decent. I think um, they've got a 45% chance to make the playoffs, according to some of those playoff you know, predictors and, and uh, matchups. I got a really good friend of mine from college. He lives in Nashville. He's going to the Seahawks-Titans mm. game on Christmas Eve this Sunday that he's really fired up about. All of a sudden, that's a really important game. Will Levis is banged up a little bit, so I don't know if they go to... 
uh, Tannehill or what? That, Malik Willis. Or Malik Willis, what that looks like. But all of a sudden, Christmas Eve in Nashville is, um, you know, the next step to the playoffs for the Seahawks. But And then the Steelers after that, obviously, they're a little bit banged up. The Cardinals are frisky. I will, I'm will. i not going to assume that that's a win, especially with Kyler. Since Kyler's been back, they've been solid. Yeah. They've yeah. been decent. And playing them the down there with, with a healthy Kyler, that's, that's not going to be an easy game week 18. So I, I'm not counting any... Uh, any chickens, you know, quite yet for the Seahawks in their playoff chances, but it really feels good to be back in the mix among all those seven and seven teams. Well, you talk about the Eagles and, you know, get it or whatever them. We'll talk about them a little bit and what we think of them, because we mentioned yesterday, really like there's four teams that we thought, okay, like those are kind of the Super Bowl contenders and Philly was in there. Are they still in there? We'll talk about it a little bit, but I do want to talk about Drew Locke, um, you know, emotional. Emotional after the game, and it's understandable, right? It hasn't really played that much. Second start of the season. Uh, you know, Locke last night, like you said, not a great game, but good enough. Better than Jalen Hurts. Uh, 208 yards, a touchdown. Uh, this was Drew Locke on the field after the game. Post-game interview, just you could you could hear the emotion uh, rubbing off on him right here. Drew, you've told us that it's been amazing to be out here playing again. So what did it feel like to orchestrate this game-winning drive tonight? Oh, Amazing won't do it justice. Amazing won't do it justice, but amazing also doesn't do justice with the O-line, what DK did on that catch, what the receivers did, what Ken Walker, Zach Charbonnet did all game long, the tight ends, man. It takes a special group to rally around a guy that, you know, has come into his second game of the year, right? Used to the same thing all year long, same cadence, same spin of the ball, everything. For a team like that, not just the offense, the defense to rally around, me tonight, man, that was that was amazing. I see some I hear some emotion in your voice. Yeah. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Um, I'm just blessed. I'm just blessed. Blessed with a great group of guys, a great city, great coaching staff. It's just it's, it's awesome. It's a wow. You sound like a guy that just loves it actually in Seattle. You know, unfortunately for him, he's a backup to Geno Smith. I I would I do want to ask you about the situation going forward still is Gino's job, right? Like, I don't, I don't think this is going to change at all. That other drew lock gets a dub over the Eagles are a good team, but if Gino's healthy, Gino's gotta be the starting quarterback, right? Yeah, he is. Uh, I think it's a little bit of a closer race than I may have thought, but Gino, at least you feel comfortable now. If something does happen to Gino again, I think, yeah. And seeing, seeing the ball go through the hoop, as it were, seeing drew locks do some positive things, and coming up clutch, I think, it, you know, makes you feel a lot more at ease. But at the end of the day, um, Seattle did what they did because they were able to run the ball effectively in the second half. In the first half, you know, there wasn't a lot to to speak of, but they got a field goal at the end of the half. That was important. Um, they're still, you know, they're still a very flawed team and a flawed offense, especially up front on the offensive line. You could see that uh, Drew Locke and Tyler Lockett are not entirely on the same page. I know that you know is tough for you. I think you had to lock it over yesterday, but uh, he had like, nine targets. Yeah, yeah, and three only catches, three catches, and twenty yards or something like that. So not that I was paying attention. No, I know I was <laughs> I was paying attention on your behalf. But uh, thanks for bringing it up. DK still, you know, DK. I, I don't know. Do you think DK Metcalf is underrated? Does he get the national recognition as being like an alpha receiver that well, that he can be? He, I think he does, but I think people do downgrade him a little bit because of his uh, his actions on the field when he you know throws sucker punches at people and he's just overly emotional. I think people can't 
can't wrap their heads and say, okay, this guy is like a legitimate star receiver because he hurts the team sometimes uh, with his, with his, you know, after play shenanigans. But I do think he does get respect. Yeah. I mean, he would be the first diva receiver of all time. Ever. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. I just, he came up in clutch moments yesterday. He was huge. He was huge. The one handed catch on second day. Like it's a second and five, but coming up with that pass is unbelievable. And then the sideline, Shot is great. The The Dallas game that he had a few weeks ago was amazing. And, yeah, when the team is struggling and he's not getting targeted a lot and, and then you're losing to the 49ers. And, by the way, the scuffle with the 49ers, you know, a week, two weeks ago, was that was instigated by Fred Warner, not DK Metcalf. Oh, Fred, okay, right. Fred Warner totally came in. No, I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not joking. Warner came in. You can look at the replay. He shoved DK from behind to really – you know, get that fracas started. So, but he knew what he was doing because he knew he would get a reaction out of DK in return. But that's what happens when you play your rival twice in three games. Like emotions are going to boil over. But yeah, DK keeps on coming up in the clutch. And for Drew Locke, it just reminded me of Geno's you know performance against the Broncos Monday night in Week One last year. He's doing the post game interview. It means so much to him. You know, they wrote me off. I didn't write back. And that kind of moment, and it's with Lisa Salters, you know, ironically enough, on Monday night on ABC, and here comes Drew Locke. Now he gets his moment. And I just thought that was really meaningful and and really, really cool. And now it's been two Monday nights in a row, Stephen, that we've seen these random backup quarterbacks become heroes with game-winning drives to to win it in Tommy Cutlets and now Drew Locke in back-to-back weeks. Who would have thought? We'll talk about it a little bit later. Uh, I hope Drew Locke does not turn into Tommy DeVito. Tommy DeVita. DeVita? DeVita. I mean DeVito. Tommy the Diva DeVito. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit with Tommy DeVito, what he's up to, his little shenanigans. But no, you're right. I mean, you love to see the emotional stuff out of Drew Locke, right? Like, you know, whether you root for him or not, it doesn't matter. Like, that's what sports is about. It's supposed to be about fun. And it's something where in the post game interview, you said, you know, I'm never going to forget the play call. Like I'll always remember this play call and I'll remember this game forever. So one of those things was just awesome. And not only that, but it helps the Seahawks, you know, one step closer to try to get back to the playoffs, which Amazing. I think is, you know, it wouldn't have been a uh, disaster season had they not made the playoffs, but it was expected like, Hey, Seattle should be right in playoff contention. That's right where they are. I want to touch on the Eagles now real quick here, Judah. All right. So we talked about, Going into the game yesterday, how Philadelphia, we thought, you know, even though with the struggles, the two-game losing streak, we still think that, you know, they're one of the teams that can really win the Super Bowl. And it was San Francisco, it's can you know, Kansas City, it's uh, Philadelphia, we put Buffalo, I put Buffalo in there. And that was about it. You know, Baltimore, I guess, kind of, but Philly was right up there. And you look at the NFC, outside of the 49ers, we kind of both said, we don't really trust the Cowboys, the Eagles would be the second trusted team. Based on how the Eagles are playing, I think I might have to take him out of that. I don't know that I can trust him even then. Jalen Hurts has just not been good lately. Last five games, four touchdowns, four interceptions. He hasn't thrown a touchdown pass the last two weeks. In fact, last week, they didn't score an offensive touchdown against the Cowboys. Like, he didn't lead a touchdown drive. I I don't know what's wrong with Jalen. I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's the whole... They lost their offensive coordinator situation going into this season. Now it's finally rearing its head right now. But the defense is bad. The defense is bottom, you know, towards the bottom of the NFL this season. The offense has been struggling as of late. I know there's still time, Judah, but I don't know that I can put any trust in the Philadelphia Eagles to make some type of playoff run the way that they're playing and the way they looked against the Cowboys. And then even last night, Jalen with no touchdowns, two picks, he threw a bad interception 
uh, towards the end of the game, you know, the double covers right at him. Seattle got it in the end zone with the touchback. I like Jalen Hurts. I think he's a really good player. Maybe he's just having a cold streak right now, but right now with the way he's playing, I can't put Philadelphia as a serious contender in the NFC. It's really hard to to believe that we're at this point. You know, they're the reigning NFC champions. They looked so dominant through the NFC playoffs last year. Obviously, the quarterback injuries for the 49ers helped impact that. But, I mean, they started 10-1 and one yeah. coming off a trip to the Super Bowl. They just yeah. go out and, you know, just... Jalen was leading the MVP candidate because, you know, he was the leading guy because they were 10 to 1. He was looking good. Like, it was looking like he was going to run away with the, with the award. They lose three straight, and now they're not even winning their own division. And I think that's big going forward. They had 70 sacks last year as a defensive line. They're, that's a historic number. Yeah. So there was going to be regression there of, of some kind, and there has been. Um, but, you know, they their defensive coordinator as well, Jonathan Gannon, who not many people thought was like this you know, genius architect, but he left. He, you know, he became the head coach of the Cardinals. Offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen, he left to become the uh, the head coach of the Colts. Brian Johnson, the quarterback's coach, gets promoted to OC. They bring in Sean Desai to run the defense. He's no longer calling plays, and now it's Matt Patricia. Um, you know, frankly, the Eagles' defense did okay last night, except for that that final drive. I don't know that the Seahawks' offense with Drew Locke is the best barometer for how well you're playing as a defensive unit, but... You know, they haven't been their dominant selves in the pass rush department, definitely not in the run defense department. If Darius Slay's not playing, they're secondary susceptible. Their nickelback, Avery Maddox, he hasn't playing. You know, he's been banged up. So they've had injuries at some key spots. It's just a weird team because it seems they can always run the ball at will with that offensive line and Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey and, you know, uh, the the big, big left tackle that they've got, Jordan Mailata. He's like 6'8", 380 pounds, just moving people. Um, you know, they've been so dominant with the tush push, and now that's getting under the microscope with the officiating and the referees and the false start on Kelsey. And, you know, it's just one of those things. Number one, it's a long season in the NFL, and you're not going to get through it unscathed if you've got a little bit of warts and blemishes. The Eagles clearly have blemishes. But at the same time, like, this is a 10-4 and four football team that's on a three-game losing streak. How many... How many teams can have a three-game losing streak and still be 10-4? and four? I mean, it's the Eagles and the Niners. Like, the, the Niners lost three in a row, and they're back to their dominant selves as well. I don't think the Eagles will be as dominant as the 49ers are, obviously. Um, but I think that this is the low point for their season. I do. I think this is the bottom point for the Eagles' season. And when they start seeing the ball go through the hoop, They've got the Giants twice and the Cardinals. Which they will see the ball go through the hoop. And that's going to help their confidence. I don't know how much healthier they'll get, but hopefully for their sake they get a little more healthier. Hopefully Jalen gets healthy as well. But that NFC East race becomes very interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong, but as of now with identical 10-3 and three or 10-4 and four records, the Cowboys are above the Eagles yes. with all the tie breaks as it currently stands. I was going through it in my head last night. I mean, they obviously have split the season series. So then, I guess, in a division tiebreak, it goes to your division record. And um, I, I think that they've got the same division record, except for the Eagles. The, the Cowboys have already played the Giants twice, I think, and the Eagles have yet to play the Giants. So I think the Eagles, if they win out and the Cowboys win out, I'm not sure entirely who wins the East. Maybe it's still Dallas, but that's going to be fascinating. Dallas still has to play... Uh, the Detroit Lions next Saturday. So they've got a tougher, you know, road to hoe, as it were. 
uh, to finish the season. But whoever gets and, that home playoff game in wild card, I think is it's you know it's pretty significant. And then maybe jockey in position with the Lions as well. Whoever gets that two or three seed, that's going to be that's really going to determine a lot for the first two rounds of the NFC playoffs. Well, and Dallas is at Miami this week as well. It's at Miami, and then they host Detroit at Washington. But you're right, right now Dallas right now is technically ahead of Philadelphia. Uh, with the tiebreaker, but Dallas is at Miami and then first the Lions, and last week they were at Buffalo. Yep, like that's a tough stretch for the Cow, and they were but, Eagles before that. They but the Eagles, Bills, Dolphins, and Lions—that's a tough stretch for for Dallas. But the Eagles' loss gives life to the Cowboys because the Cowboys are a much better team at home, seven and zero at home, three and four on the road, and now they do control their destiny to win the NFC East. And I, I think if they can get that two seed, they can get those home games. Going up until the NFC Championship game when you have to go to San Francisco, obviously, uh, and, and beat Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey. Like, that's this that's the path you want, right? You don't want to have to go on the road and win these road games. If you can get two home games going into that NFC Championship game, that that's gonna be your best option. And you know, then it's just a one game scenario where hopefully you can pull off some type of upset. But I I think it opens it up for the Cowboys again to once again, I think I have to consider them a threat if they're going to have a chance to win their division. If the Cowboys win the NFC East, they're going to be the second best team in the NFC. I, I don't, yeah. I, I wouldn't put that. I would, I would put the Eagles behind them and put everyone behind them. Where I think if Philly ends up winning the NFC East, I can't put the Cowboys ahead of the Eagles just because they'd have to go on the road and take on these type of teams, probably play San Francisco in the second round. Like that's not going to work out. If you're a Cowboy fan, you, you just got, you know, you got the, uh, you got the chance that you needed. You got to win from Seattle to give yourself a chance to win that NFC East. I think that's really important for them going forward. Now can Dak step up and uh, play well in one of these big, in both these big games against the, the, the Dolphins and the Lions. Boy, and I tell you what, if if he does, the Cowboy fan base is going to be all the way back because the Dolphins are playing pretty good ball right now, especially defensively. Vic Fangio and that defense, like that's a legit test uh, for Dak and company. And then Detroit, you know, they snapped out of their funk in a major way last weekend as well. If the Cowboys somehow come out of the next two weeks with wins over Miami and Detroit, like they are all the way back in, in the in the minds of a lot of fans with the only, you know, question being, can you beat the 49ers at, at some point? The, the other thing, too, is if they go on the road in the NFC playoffs, but say they're the five seed and have to play the four seed, the NFC South champion, you know, is that the Buccaneers? Is that the Saints? Um, you know, it, it'll probably be one of those two teams. You know, they just beat the Bucks in the wild card uh, last year, in, but that was obviously a Tom Brady team. But th- you know, they've done that. Um, and the Saints would be an indoor team. You know, yeah. and then do you play the Lions at some point? Even if that's on the road, that's an indoor team. I don't know. Do you think it's different for the Cowboys playing a road indoor game as opposed to a road outdoor game, or is it just all road? All bad. If you're I mean, Jerry. I, I think it is a little easier if it's an indoor game, but at the same time, I think it. I would lean more towards the latter, and I would say it's just any road playoff game right now. I I can't trust the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. You can't they, trust them. They no got way. they got the win last year against Tampa Bay, and they crushed the Buccaneers. But the Bucks weren't very good. Tom Brady wasn't very good in his final season. That team that wasn't a real threat. I I think this year, the NFC is loaded with good teams. They have one great team, and that's the 49ers. They're loaded with a bunch of good teams. I don't think that the Cowboys can go on the road and beat the Buccaneers on the road and then go on the road again and beat you know either the 49ers or the Eagles or one of these other teams. I don't think they can go with two straight road games. If you're Dallas, you got to get that home field in the you know in the first round and the second round and then hopefully get the one game against San Francisco. But it really seems like to me, Judah, like this is lining up to be 49ers. Not a cakewalk to the Super Bowl, but 
kind of a cakewalk to the Super Bowl as long as they can stay healthy. As long as Purdy yeah. stays healthy, as long as McCaffrey stays healthy. I mean, is there really any threat in the NFC besides the 49ers? I just, I don't see it. It's really tough to get there. I mean, maybe, maybe Philly, if they figure out some of this stuff, but we just saw that we just matchup saw that. a couple it, weeks it was, ago. And, you know, in Philly, it in was Philly, not good. It's not close. I mean, you maybe Big Dom comes out and suits up. I don't know. Like, that, that could be their only shot. By but. the way, Big Dom up in the press boxes in Seattle. I don't know if you saw that. He, <laughs> was he there? Yeah, he was up in the press box. <laughs> That's hilarious. I got a problem. No, it's not. Get, get out. Get well, off. I'm my, not a big Dom guy. I get off my screen, Big Dom. Yeah, get off my screen, Big Dom. Do you do you know who wasn't there in the stadium? Who? Jamal Adams. Where was he? At home. Just yikes in him? Yeah. That's yikes city, man. <laughs> Jamal Adams was ruled inactive. He did not show up to the stadium last night. What's up with that? What's up with him? What is this, an SNL sketch? Nah. What's up with that? What's up with that? I Pete Carroll said it on on Brock and Salk this morning. He said, "Look, Jamal is hurting mentally, he and physically. Like he really wanted to play, I guess." And uh, Pete basically benched him and said, "No, you're not going to play." And says, "You know, he's spinning it as if he's not physically all the way back yet." And I think it's a compounded issues. I think it's the yikes. I think it's the way he's behaved post yikes. I think it's the way he played against the Niners. My lord, he was, you know. He was trying to get away from any type of tackle, and he's terrible in coverage. He's a liability. You know, Pete can say whatever he wants about playing run defense and blitzing and all that, but he's been a liability, and he's made the Seahawks way too predictable on defense. So they actually threw the Eagles a bit of a curveball by, you know, not even playing Adams. And obviously Witherspoon is banged up too, but, um, you know, at the very least, that made Julian Love and Quandre Diggs just play at the two safety spots every snap of the game, and... And make big plays. Guess who made the biggest plays of the game when it mattered most? But with Big Dom, here's the thing. Big <laughs> Big Dom could take me, no doubt, 100%. Like, that guy that guy just crushes me, and I'm dead on the floor. But you know what? The fact that we're, like, highlighting this guy and we're giving him press box seats in the suites and we're showing him on the TV, it's just going to make other security guys on all the other teams, like, try to make try to make a play. You know what? Some guy goes out of bounds, just hit the guy in the helmet. Make a play for your team. Get them ejected. They're I just, jealous of the Big Dom limelight? Yeah, just... I feel like it's just you're highlighting something that shouldn't have happened. Like, Big Dom needs to stay off the radar. He shouldn't be a part of the game. He was part of the game. He got Greenlaw kicked out. I thought that was just garbage. But that's the thing. Like, I feel like that's just going like, to lead to other guys. Green, Greenlaw should not have been kicked out of that game. That it's going to lead to other security guys for, you know, some other team that's going to try to get one of the defensive players on their, you know, on their opponents kicked out of the game. And then he's a hero. Like, I mean, I don't you know. You don't like that? No. It gets a little WWE in no. the NFL? No. Uh, I don't I don't need. I'm not here for it either. But I, don't I, need I will Big say Dom. I was just dying laughing when the Big Dom thing went down and in live real time because they were just talking about him like they got like the couple plays before they were like oh man shout out to big dom for getting us the great restaurant recommendations in philadelphia oh he knows every spot to eat the camera didn't show him or anything and then randomly he gets involved with Greenlaw. like two plays later they're like oh my god it's big dom oh crap he's here and i was like what is this wwe if big dom wants to come and be a portland trailblazer security guard i'm fine with that i'm fine with that and then he can get people kicked out because the blazers need all the help they can get we'll talk about the blazers uh, a little bit later on we got uh our 750thegame.com contributor tory jones he'll be hopping on talking some portland trailblazers basketballs they take on the suns tonight return of uh yusuf nurkic nasir little 
Troutdale, Troutdale's own, Drew Eubanks, former Blazers all coming back tonight. Uh, we got some other things to talk about. You know, talk about the college football playoff. Is that's getting closer and closer, Judah? I'm getting excited for the for the final four there uh, in college football. But coming up next, we're going to talk about the transfer portal. Big news broke last night while we we're on the air. I want to dig in deeper to that. Uh, some other rumors heading on with teams in the state of Oregon. We'll talk about all the college football news coming up next. I'm Stephen Vaughn. That's Judy Nuba filling in for John Canzano on the Bald Face Truth. Bald Face Truth. Stephen Vaughn, Judy Newby filling in for John Canzano. Uh, Judah, college football never stops. I'll tell you that much. Never stops, never settles. National signing day, the early day period, is tomorrow. In fact, uh, as recru- yeah. the lifeblood of recruiting and your program starts tomorrow. But I want to talk about uh, the transfer portal, which is a new way to you know, put some life into your program and really turn it around real quick. Or maybe just have a brand new strategy for teams as they're just going to look into the portal. They'll let other teams do all this recruiting as high schoolers. And then, you know, the big time schools just wait to see if they can actually play and then say, you know, what, we'll give you some money. Now come to our school. Started off with the Ducks earlier. This year, uh, getting Dylan Gabriel in the transfer portal. Looks like he's going to be the starting quarterback. But surprise one that happened yesterday. Dante Moore, former five-star who was originally committed to Oregon, then went to UCLA, played some games for UCLA last season. He hits the portal. He announces he has committed to the University of Oregon. That happened as we were on the air yesterday. I want to retouch about this. I want to talk about this because... I was, frankly, I was a little bit shocked that Dante Moore decided to go to Oregon. Everything you heard, everything you read about the recruitment of Dante Moore, it was, you know what, this guy wants to play. This guy wants to go to a school where he can play right away, and that's understandable. Like, I get it, you know, being a top, you know, just like me, five-star recruit. I want to play right away. No, I wasn't. But, you know, being a five-star recruit, you want to go and you want to play right away, and as a quarterback, there's only one starting job, right? You don't split time between two different guys usually. And so for Dante Moore, he wanted to go somewhere he can play. And once Bo Nix announced he was coming back to Oregon, well, he couldn't. He didn't have a chance to start at Oregon last season. So he moves to UCLA where he has a chance to start. Doesn't start from day one, but ends up getting the job later on. Looks good at the start of the season of the non-conference. And we're thinking, all right, well, the, maybe UCLA is going to be a real factor in the Pac-12. But then he starts to struggle in the Pac-12. Four touchdowns, eight interceptions in Pac-12 play. He ends up getting benched. Then he hits the portal and... I still thought he was going to try to go somewhere where he could play right away. They, right away, there was rumors, you know, even a team like Michigan State before they got Aiden Childs to come in there. John Smith may be looking at him because they lost all their quarterbacks. There were some other rumors just about teams that could maybe, you know, offer Dante Moore a starting job. But ultimately, Moore decides to go back to the place that he originally committed to in Oregon, and he's definitely not going to be the starter there. It's going to be Dylan Gabriel, and Dante Moore is going to be the be- on the bench, you know, learning behind him learning from Will Stein. And I was, I was frankly, I was a little shocked, but I want to give Dante Moore a lot of credit. I don't know what this means, but to me, it makes it seem like he got humbled a little bit in year one of college football. He was a guy that thought he could come in right away, dominate the sport. And it didn't happen. And now he's looking at, and he says, you know, what's the best spot for me to develop as a quarterback and hopefully get to that next level. And that's an Oregon with Will Stein and Dylan Gabriel, teaching him how to do some things and he's going to take a year. He's going to take a year and not, not start. He's only going to play in these blowout games. It'll be exciting. I tell you what, when Dante Moore comes in, when the ducks are up 49, nothing on Portland state or wherever they play, it'll be fun to watch Dante Moore come in and see what he can do. 
But I, I dude, I got to give this guy some credit for being humbled and you know taking the L in his first season and then saying, you know what, I need to learn. I I can't go out and I'm not ready to play yet. I'm gonna come and learn at one of these big time schools and then hopefully in a year. I'm ready, and then I can make a decision. I've got to go to the NFL. If I'm going to transfer again to a different school, whatever it is. I was shocked that Dante Moore made this decision because a lot of 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, they're not going to do that. They're just going to take the most money. They're going to take the most playing time and run with it. But give Dante Moore some credit, Jude. I'm, I'm going to give him a lot of credit on this one. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think it takes a lot for a guy to say, you know what? I failed in my first spot. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to say I got to get back to basics, learn how to play, and I'm going to take a year off and learn. And then before I go back out there. So a huge pickup for the Ducks, I think, leads them to say, you know what, maybe the best quarterback room in the Big Ten. It's weird to say that they're in the Big Ten now. Uh, Very weird. But, you know, they may have the best quarterback room in the Big Ten now with Gabriel and with Dante Moore. Like, now, I think you got to be feeling real comfortable uh, with Dan Landon that recruiting. He, he's always been known as being a great recruiter. He's got to win some of these uh, rivalry games on the field. But I think a great start and you know, good for Dante Moore, I think, to make this decision. You do say he took the L, you know, last year in his freshman year. He also may have taken the NIL at mm. Oregon as mm. the backup. And I don't know what NIL market is like for backup QBs or second string QBs, because that's certainly what it feels like. It's the situation's going to be, you know, next year at Oregon. He'll be the backup to Dylan Gabriel. But I imagine he also got the most money at Oregon and the most favorable NIL you compensation. Think so? I think I, I think so for a backup, you know, job. Like he, you don't may think there's some better... school that would offer a starting job and more money? No, maybe a starting job and more money, but not a backup job and right. more money. That's he's that's the highest paid. He's, he's the, the highest paid, paid backup quarterback backup in college QB. And and Oregon would would make sure that's that's the case. Uh, I think he's going to be comfortable. I think the pre-existing relationship with Dan Lanning is important there too. Even though I'm sure you know Kenny Dillingham was heavily involved in his recruitment at the time. Um, you know, things were going along very well with Dan Lanning to the point where he committed to Oregon in the first place and obviously decommitted and went to chip. And then probably in, in hindsight, that wasn't the best, you know, decision for him. I, I'm kind of stunned that it didn't work out with him and chip. I, I really yeah. thought it was, but, um, so he's making his way back to Dan Lanning, somebody that he knows very well, and he can forecast his future a little bit cleaner in Eugene than he could anywhere else. And so, yeah, I think it's unique, right? A guy choosing to come in and be in a backup role. I'll I'll be interested to see how Dan Lanning portrays it when he's asked about it, you know, after uh, signing day, you know, does he expect to come in and compete with Dylan Gabriel? They'll push each other for the job and all this. When deep down, we all know that Dylan Gabriel is going to win the job. Kind of similarly that DJ Uyunglele was always going to win the Oregon state job. At least we felt like, and then, that competition ended up lasting a little bit longer in its official capacity than we all thought. But I'm with you. I think it's refreshing. I think it's a good uh, move for both sides. And I think it could be indicative of where Oregon goes at the QB position long-term, which is still invest NIL dollars for transfer quarterbacks to not be the starter right away, to take on guys that maybe you know got out of the gate, maybe stubbed their toe a little bit, that are looking for either a reclamation or at least a little bit of stability and then refine themselves with the second phase as a college quarterback like Dante Moore. I'm hopeful that that's a template that can be replicable because that seems sustainable to me over time, especially in a Big Ten where 
uh, whether it's travel or just facing a lot of tough defenses on the road, inevitably your quarterback depth is going to be called upon in a way that it probably wasn't going to be year in, year out in the Pac-12 conference. Well, it's interesting now because you know National Signing Day is tomorrow, the early early signing period is. But it used to be so important on who you're getting, especially at the quarterback position, I don't, I'm with you. I don't know how important it is now. Do you really have to go out and get these high school guys? You look at Dante Moore. He was a consensus five-star, one of the best guys out there. He goes to UCLA, Oregon lost out, and Oregon still got him after a year. Like, you have another year. You got a guy like Malachi Nelson, who was a five-star at USC. He's in the transfer portal. He had a chance to start at USC this year once Caleb Williams goes to the NFL. But no, he's like, nah, you know, I'm going to hit the transfer portal. He said he's heard from over 50 schools. Like, I think you're right. I think a team like Oregon, when you're a program like Oregon, you can just basically say, you know what? We'll let you play out a year at one of these schools, and we'll just pick you up later. Whether you're, you know, you're going up from a lower level and you've outplayed that level, and now you deserve to be on a level like Oregon is in the Big Ten, or you just get one of these guys that whether they failed in their first year like Dante Moore or they just didn't get on the field like Malachi Nelson, you just go out and get one of these guys, another five-star, and you can just refill that way because Oregon has those dollars. Like, I, It's a different world now in college football where recruiting used to be everything. The transfer portal, is, I think, is even more important now than recruiting, which is wild to me that it's, you know, the transfer portal has only been around for a couple of years like this. Yeah. And I, and I think it has already overtaken recruiting by so much. There's so much talent in the transfer portal that they leave right after the season. I mean, the first day is just, you know, five-star, four-star, five-star. All these guys are in the transfer portal, and the Ducks are getting a lot of them. Well, and that's why in today's day and age of college football, you've got, you know, directors of of scouting, basically directors yeah. of player personnel. It's a professional game, man. It's basically like being a GM of the of the, uh, of the roster, you know, and that's what I think uh, Marshall Melkow is, is doing at Oregon. He's well-renowned. He did it at A&M with Jimbo, and then, you know, he came to Oregon with, with Landing, and he does a really good job. But you don't really hear a lot about those guys, but those guys are key to everything. Like, they're vital to, to everything because they're the ones that have got the relationships with collectives, and they're the ones that have relationships with agents and players and families, and they know all the behind-the-scenes dynamics. Um, and there remains a ton of behind-the-scenes dynamics that we don't really fully know about that's not made public in the college space that is is playing vital roles. And frankly, we don't know how much Oregon has given Dante Moore. Maybe maybe they didn't give him a whole yeah. lot, and he just really wanted to go to Oregon anyway. Like I guess that's possible. Um, but at the same time, yeah, these di- directors of player personnel, these are the guys that are really, you know, they got their hands in it, and they're working simpatico with the head coaches to build out these rosters and, I'm not sure how much sleep they're getting around this time of year, but it definitely, to your point, takes the pressure off of trying to nail a really good high school quarterback recruit, you know, and then it, you know, kicks down the can like uh, Austin Novosad. Like, how long will he be at Oregon now? You know, he was, you know, four star, actually did some decent things in the spring game, et cetera. But, you know, I'm half expecting to see his name in the portal at any given moment. Yeah. I mean, I, if I'm him, I'm looking around at the landscape of the Ducks quarterback position. I'm saying that there's no future for me here. We can only yeah. play one. But then you look at a guy like who was it? Jay uh, Butterfield. You know, he transferred out and went down to San Jose. Did he play much? It well, the, they had Chevin Cordero. They had Chevin Cordero. Did Cordero make it through the whole year? I didn't really pay attention to San Jose State. You, you Spartan just football. I sleep on them. You sleep on San Jose State. On, I watched that Week One CBS game. And was You're like, out. oh boy, I'm out on them. But it, it is good. But it's like it gives those schools, San Jose State, Oregon State, 
a chance to go and get some of these guys. I mean, yeah. Jay Butterfield was a high recruit. Like yeah. DJ, DJ Uyunglele at Oregon State. That's how Oregon State gets those guys. They're not going to get DJ and the recruiting cycle, but you can get him as a bounce you'll back. Get a, you'll get him as a bounce back. You'll get him as the quote-unquote falling star that falls into your lap. Um, but I also think there's, there's still good guys at the JUCO ranks that we don't talk about a lot, too. I still think there's some JUCO talent out there that will get there you know, opportunity at either Oregon State or maybe a, a bigger program like Oregon. It won't all be these. And, and a lot of these transfer portal swings won't hit either. Like, I think Dylan Gabriel is going to be good if he stays healthy because um, he's so experienced and all that. But even a guy like Dylan Gabriel, clearly he's got limitations too as a, you know, at least as a pro prospect. But, you know, at the same time, I thought Michael Penix had a ceiling and he busted right through the ceiling I thought he had. So, um, you know. Who, who really knows until we see these guys actually suit up and start slinging it around? Yeah, it's unfortunate for high schoolers, though, I will say. The transfer portal has ruined a lot of, like, it makes it hard for high schoolers to get those scholarships to the big-time schools. And then these big-time schools like Oregon want you to be preferred walk-on and stuff like that. And I think that, you know, that's mm. that's unfortunate for them, but that's just how the game works right I, now. I'd say the counter to that would be it makes high school guys need to prove it. And there's something to be said for that because I feel like a lot of these high school guys just you know, gobble up their own headlines and their old own stardom and start to, you know, think their poop smells like roses, et cetera. And then you have to go play the game and they, you know, they're not out there backing it up. Like at the very least, you got to show the evidence in order to kind of earn your stay. It's very, it's a lot more capitalistic, I think, than it, than it used to be. Well, we talked about uh, Oregon state getting bounce backs uh, after the break. We're going to talk about a potential bounce back that Oregon state could get in the transport portal. Some rumors, uh, for the Beavs at the quarterback position, because we know uh, DJ Uyunglele, he's out in the transfer portal. Aiden Childs is heading over to East Lansing with Coach Jonathan Smith. What does that leave for the Beavs? Well, there's some rumors out there with Oregon State in the transfer portal. We'll touch on that. We've got the big splash also coming up next. I'm Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby filling it as well for John Canzano, Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Bald Face Truth, Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby filling in for John Canzano later on in the program. We'll be talking support the Trailblazers basketball with 750thegame.com contributor Tori Jones. He'll be hopping on, talking to us. Uh, me and Tori do a podcast together. Tori writes for us over at 750thegame.com. He does his own YouTube stuff. So he's a real NBA junkie. Like, you know what? A lot of us, you know, we watch sports. We love sports. This guy's on another level when it comes to the NBA. So he'll have you locked in. We'll talk about the Blazers. We'll talk about some other just random NBA things as well. Uh, he's always a good listen to. Would of course do the five and five late. Uh, Judah, I do want to talk about this. We were talking about the transfer portal. Dante Moore heading over to Oregon. I was a little shocked with that decision, but you went know, great for the Ducks. Great pickup. Ty Thompson, he was at Oregon. He decides to hit the portal. Now Dante Moore takes his spot. There's some rumors out there. Dante Moore, not Dante Moore, Ty Thompson thinking about just making the quick drive down to Corvallis and be an Oregon State quarterback. Uh, we talked about last week. Malik Murphy, former Texas quarterback. He's also interested in the Oregon State Beavers as well. Beavs out there looking for a quarterback, and I think that's really important. We've talked about that numerous times, how nothing against Ben Gilbranson. You know, solid player. I think he's a great stopgap type of guy, great backup quarterback. You have to put him out there like you do for the bowl game. You can do a lot worse than Ben Gilbranson. He obviously led the team to a good record in his first year. But if he's the quarterback going into the season and he's the undoubted number one quarterback on the Oregon State roster, it's just very uninspiring to me. If the Beavs are trying to get to a bigger conference, trying to get to a power four type of conference, it won't be with Ben Gilbranson as a quarterback. It's going to be a get with a guy like Ty Thompson or Malik Murphy. But 
I thought it'd be really interesting if Ty Thompson, a guy who was so hyped and Oregon fans were so psyched that he was going to Oregon. I mean, he was with a five-star quarterback. Everyone thought he's the future. He doesn't really get on the field. They go out and they get Bo Nix, who takes over and has almost a Heisman Trophy type of season, almost gets to the college football playoff. Thompson rarely sees the field. Now he's gone. If he goes to Oregon State, I mean, think about just the storylines again we'll get if he's the quarterback heading into week, uh, what did that be, week two, week three, when Oregon State and Oregon take on each other. It'll be add a little uh, little spiciness to that competition. I, I would love to see it. Of course, it's just rumors right now, but how great would that be, Judah? Yeah, that, that would be really interesting. You know, I, I didn't watch a ton of Ty Thompson this year. I've got to go back and, and kind of see what he looked like in some of these mop-up scenarios, these blowout scenarios. Um you know, but everyone said that he looked better than he than he has before. And in the spring game, he looked better. So I'm glad to see that improvement. I, I still don't know, you know, the level of quarterback that he is. But at the same time, maybe Oregon State's a really good fit for him. You know, maybe he's got a little bit of, you know, relationship with, with Ryan Gunderson and kind of likes what they were trying to do at UCLA and bring a little bit of that flavor to Corvallis. So I'm with you. I'd, I'd like to see this. Plus the storylines would be great. I love guys that play for both the ducks and the beavers. There's not a lot of them. I mean, Thomas Tyner comes to mind, mm. but um, outside of that, I don't remember a ton of duck beef crossovers, at least in that played for both teams. How, how, uh, how more relevant are you guys going to be now with the transfer portal? I think, well, not because it would mostly be, it would be Oregon to Oregon State, most likely not Oregon State to Oregon, right? I don't know. What if you kick butt at Oregon State That's and true. Then you're like, yeah, I want to get to the playoff, and the NIL dollars, you know, or just reaches down the I road, it, snatches you. I can see it happening both ways, but you know, um, I think that that adds a little bit to the rivalry as well. But yeah, I think you're right with the portal and NIL the way way it is. I think we might see a little bit more duck beef crossover than we have before, but this would be a fun one. That would be a fun one. Uh especially at that position at quarterback cuz the Beavs, you know, they need a guy. You know, DJ Uingle was fine this season. I think we both can agree on that, but he wasn't extraordinary by any means. I don't think he necessarily won a lot of games for the Beavers. I think you could put a lot of quarterbacks out there at Oregon State's going to be 8 and 4. I think you put eight Giles out there, they're going to be eight and four. If they go Branson, they might be seven and five, eight and four. Like, I don't know that DJ won a lot of games, and I don't know if Ty Thompson can win games, but I will say he's got the pedigree. He had the recruitment. It's one of those things that the bounce back could actually help out Oregon State. Wraps up hour one, hour two coming up next. We're going to play some Punch It audio at four o'clock, 420. Tori Jones talking some trailblazers. We got college football playoff stuff. We got it all. Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby, Ball Face Truth. BFFT. Now. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Stephen Vaughn and Judah Newby with the bald-faced truth. Hour number two. Bald-faced truth, Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby filling in for John Canzano. We got a loaded hour two, loaded hour three. You're going to want to keep it locked in all day long. Tori Jones coming up next segment talking about the Blazers. We're going to be uh, giving out some uh, some of our thoughts, early leans for the college football playoff. We've talked to, uh, talked about the Ducks and the Bees, but now we're going to talk about the big ones. Final four games, talk about that. I have some Blazer takes as well that I want to get off my chest. I can't wait to do that. Um, play some punch and audio a little bit later in this segment, but I do want to start out talking right now, Judah. Uh, you as a father as well. I am a father of two, a nine-year-old and a soon-to-be five-year-old. The youngest, he's four. He'll be five on Christmas Day, which that's a whole nother conversation as it just puts a just puts a wrench into everything. It just makes it so much harder, but it is what it is. Whatever. 
Uh, and also, it doesn't help when you go see Santa and Santa says, oh, yeah, do people, uh, you know, rip you off because it's your birthday and Christmas at the same time and he's putting propaganda into my son's head? It didn't help. But uh, I want to ask you this, Judah. I'm texting my wife during the break here about some, uh, you know, we got to get, yeah, we got to finish out the Christmas shopping. You know, maybe a gift or two for the oldest son. We, we've got enough for the youngest son. He's fine. Whatever. You know, we, that's where you combine the birthday and Christmas gifts and you become a bad parent. No. But the oldest one needs to get another present. So he's not. Youngest one's going to be five. If we go to a store that's maybe five minutes from our home by themselves, or do we have to find like someone to watch them? Because I just <laughs> like we want to go do some stuff together. You know, we want to go shopping together. We think it's fun. We still like hanging out. You know, shockingly, uh, you know, we've been married for a long time, and she still likes me. She still wants to hang out with me, and I love hanging out with her. She's my best friend. So like, I want to hang out and do Christmas shopping together. It's fun. You know, holiday season. The store's like five minutes away from our house. Is it okay just to ditch the kids at home and let them say, hey, you know what? Just uh, hang out here for a little bit. We're going to go to a store. We'll be back in, you know, 15, 20 minutes. It's not going to take long. Is that okay? Is that a bad father? Am I going to jail if I do that? Uh, nine and five? Nine and five. Well, I mean, Is that too young? What are they saying? Like, it's all about the kid, right? But do you think the nine-year-old could keep the five-year-old under control? Like, how how <sighs> are you okay with your house looking a certain way when you get back? That's the important thing. I've, the nine-year-old really follows the rules. He's well, a that helps. he's a rule follower, but at the same time, will he succumb to the peer pressure of his five-year-old? Brother? Because the the younger <laughs> brother, he's more of a rebel, and he will try to start some things. I don't know. Is that, does that make me a bad dad to even consider this? Well, but, but the end goal, what are you guys trying to do? You're trying to we're buy just a trying present, to, right? We're trying to buy a present. I think that's, you know, noteworthy, praiseworthy. You know, like, you're trying office, to do something good. They're off of school. Like, we, yeah. can't, we can't just go, like, during the day because we have the kids during the day. The best time is either me go after the show, which I've got to go do anyways. i got to do that for another gift for my brother. But at the same time, like, she wants to go, you know, pick out something for, uh, for our son. Does that make me you dad? You can't bring him but with she, you. So, right. You can't bring him with you. you she know. said she can't even consider it just to leave the kids at home. I'm thinking just ditch the kids at home. It's like five minutes away. What do you got? What's you the got worst YouTube that could happen? You got, what do you got? A little uh, Sega Dreamcast? Yeah. What are the kids N- playing these Nintendo days? 64? No. N- N64? No, they got they got their own you know, Nintendo Switch. We got the PS5. Zelda. Zelda, nice. Something to keep them occupied for 20 minutes? I don't know. Does that make me bad? Does that mean bad dad that I think it's fine and she thinks it's a terrible idea? I think the the, uh, operative factor is the fact that you're trying to go out to buy something for the kid anyway. Uh, and I want to do it with which the I wife. think makes you a good a good dad and a good husband. So I think you uh, you take the risk and you leave him at home for Ooh. sure. If anyone, uh, you don't tell anybody where you live. <laughs> no, yeah. If anyone has uh, any advice on that, 503 417. Am I being a bad co-host by saying, "Yeah, leave your kids you, at home"? Yeah, call in if you, uh, you know, if you think it's. I'm a, willing to admit that if that's uh, quite the same. It comes down to the kiddos. But Judah said it's okay. And Judah uh, said it's all right, and ultimately you're trying to get a gift anyway. So I think uh, you know if it it's the uh, if it's the crime. Uncle Judah said it's okay. Five zero three four one seven seven five seven five. You got Uncle Judah's got a lot of great advice. Don't listen to Uncle Judah. I need a little bit more uh, spike dig. Let me know if that's if, if I'm a bad dad for even considering leaving a nine year old and a five year old at home by themselves. <laughs> I feel like I, I mean, I'm trying to think of how old I was. So I was the younger brother. I have a brother that was three years older than me. I'm trying to think of when we finally got like left at home. Like, I, I feel like maybe it was, you know, was it my brother was at 10 and I was seven, something like that. I mean, I feel like this is a little younger on the younger side, but um, at the same time, I also feel like 
We're not going to be gone long. I mean, I, I mean, I guess you know something bad could happen and we get in a car crash or something, but I can't imagine that. It's five minutes away. I mean, I don't know. We'll see what we'll see what happens. Five zero three four one seven. 75, 75, you want to call in, uh, give us some advice on that. Am I a bad father for wanting to uh, leave my son at home and go get a Christmas present? I will head out to the phones right now. we got a caller uh, on line one, Dan in West Lynn. Dan, what's going on, my man? Hey, fellas. Hey, uh, really quick, catch me up. How old are your kids? Uh, the oldest is nine, and the youngest is going to be five on Christmas. Okay, that's fine. Here's what you do. Let's call Northwest Natural. Just shut the gas off. Okay, let's take some precautions here. Do you have gas or is it electric stove? Uh, it's electric. Oh, then you're good. Here's what you do. You take that old N64. They're not going to figure out how to work it anyway. They're going to spend all of 10 minutes trying to turn the thing on. By the time you get home, they finally turn it on. And you're home playing 007 GoldenEye with the kiddos. What Ooh, do you say? I love, I love the GoldenEye reference. That's, uh, I think you're on some, Dan. The, yeah, because they, they don't know, they don't know how to actually put the game into the system. I mean, it was, uh, th- you know, there's just so much more simpler now. Thank you for calling in, Dan. Uh, I love that, Jude. I love that. Just, uh, you know, give them some old systems and let them figure it out themselves. Because back in the day, I think we can all agree on this. Video games, they're so much more sophisticated now, but it's so much easier. To play them, like you can just download the game straight onto the system. I mean, back in the day, we had to blow into the games and then put it in exactly in the right spot in the NES, and then hopefully it would work. Uh, thanks for the call there. We'll head back out. Uh, 503-417-7575 if you want to get on the air. Sam in Vancouver. Sam, my bad father for wanting to leave my nine-year-old at home by himself. Oh, heck no. Okay, I come, I don't know how old you guys are, but I'm 46. And I come from the days where my parents used to drop me and my sister wait in the car while they went inside to the bar to have a beer. So I was already a part of that chain gang, as you called it, as we called it, Gen Xers, about having the house key around our our, our neck around uh, third grade, fourth grade. That's when I was first put on my own in third grade. What are you, 10, 11, 12, something like that? Yeah. So, man, I, I just think the kids nowadays, they're a little soft. I think parents are a little... Hey, let's make sure that they're all okay and everything. I would just put out a freaking bowl of candy or whatever in their gaming thing. They'll be good to go, son. I appreciate that, Sam. Uh, I I agree. I agree with Sam. Like, figure it out. You know, at some point, you got you to gotta figure it out and be an adult. Figure it out, kids. Come on. Be stronger. Uh, Jesse, Klamath Falls. Jesse, what's going on? I'm, uh, what do you think about this situation? Okay, that guy cracked me up because I'm the same age. I'm Gen Xer, too. But I think the important factors are, first of all, are they girls and boys? Are they mixed? Because boys will definitely get into trouble and do things. As soon as that door shuts, they're looking for something. So nine and five, the five-year-old concerns me because five-year-olds, if it's a boy, are crazy. So that concerns me a little bit. And then also be honest about uh, it's only 15 minutes. Like, I lived in Portland. I know that 15 minutes and five minutes away, like, that's really more like an hour. (laughs) So I think, to be fair, your question should be, are they cool for an hour? And it's like, that's up to you, man. I'm not against it or for it. I'm just nervous about it. Thank you for the call, Jesse. Um, To answer this question, two boys, nine and five, they're boys. Uh, Luckily for me, I, I live in Milwaukee, so it's not quite in Portland. So he's right. It wouldn't be 15 minutes. It would probably be, I mean... 15 was quick, probably 30 Judah, but not probably not an hour, but both boys. That is a good point. Like two boys. Cause I had an older brother as well. Like 
we're getting you're getting in trouble. Like you're you're doing something. You're like gonna try to find candy like hidden or something. And then you're gonna break some. I don't know. That that's a good point. I don't know. I I feel like I'm getting swayed to not let him do it. But at the same time, I feel like they need to be tougher. You gotta toughen them up a little bit, Judah. What I do just, you think? You're a father. What what would you do? <laughs> well, I'm in a much different situation with uh, you know a two and a half year old baby girl. She's ready to go. She, she's she does, ready. She does no wrong. She'd be fine uh, wherever, I would like to think. Uh, I just love how that caller posed it, though. I'm neither for it nor against it. I'm just nervous about yeah, it. Just, I think that perfectly That's actually That's kind of my uh, thought process on, in parenting in general. I don't that's know if I'm doing the right in, or wrong thing. I'm, betting. I'm just nervous with whatever I do. But, Blazers but, and the points? I don't know, but I'm nervous about it. I did watch you watch the Seahawks game. You had your hands over your face the entire first quarter. That's true. Yeah, I did get a little antsy. 503. 4177575 if you want to call in about anything. Uh, we're talking about kids. How old uh, can you leave them at home by themselves? Head out to line four. Dave in Vancouver. Dave, what is going on, my man? Yeah, so uh, nine and five. Uh, if I was five, it'd be 1973, and my sister would be nine. Okay. Uh, times were different back then. Yeah, I mean, we used to walk home from school together, elementary school, and we'd stay home by ourselves all day until well, mom and dad got home. But, you know, you kind of can't do that anymore. Times have changed. But let's say we're 11 and 7 approximately. It was about this time of year. My parents went to a Christmas party on the weekend, left us home, and mom had just reupholstered two uh, antique chairs in the living room. And we decided, Denise decided to make spaghetti as an 11-year-old. And uh, we spilt a plate of spaghetti all over one of the chairs. Mm. And... We called my older sister, who was already married and out of the house, what to do. And she told us. And my mother never found out until we told her about 20 years later <laughs> about that spaghetti stain. Yep. That... It was a, t- a team effort. And she about died when we told her. That is, uh, that's amazing. And luckily... They don't have an older brother or sister to call if they get in trouble. Like, they can't hide anything. They'd have to figure out themselves. I'll say this. I remember when I was a kid, my parents were home for this, but I remember that we had this um, Cookie Monster chair back in the day, and I sat on its head instead of the regular chair, and I broke his head off. I was so scared and nervous, I hid it in the closet. Nobody found out about it until, like, a year later. Uh, and then they're like, what happened to this chair? I was like, I don't know. I uh, I broke it, but I don't know. <laughs> Head back out to the phones. David in Portland. David, what's going on, man? Hey, Steven, I can totally agree and understand where you're at, man. I feel like I'm in a similar position. Uh, a little longer than the, the other callers. I'm 34, so I think I'm more, more in your range. Yeah. But uh, I got two boys also, um, 11 and 6. And okay. I have for sure left them both at home to take a quick jaunt to the store. I actually used to live in Milwaukee as well. I'd go to Safeway, man. I'd come back. They were always cool. Um, got it. Got so, it. So never any problems. Oh, right. Never any problems when you went to the store, you know, nothing broken or never, never any problems at all, man. I do get the nervous thing about like the car accident thing. Cause I remember thinking that myself. So that's a totally legit thought, but yeah, man, it, it's been, it's good, man. I'm, I'm with the other callers. I think you're fine to do that, man. Hey, I appreciate that, David. Yeah. I mean, that gives me hope Judah. That gives me hope that, you know what? I know that his kids are a little older, 11 and six. I believe you said mine's nine and going to be five. I don't know. My nine-year-old. Well, he, he said he's done it before, so maybe like a year or two ago, you know, maybe he did that. My nine-year-old, 
and you can agree to this. My nine-year-old looks like he's about 11. Yeah. He is a giant human being. He is playing uh, above his weight in basketball, too. That's, That's right. That's what I hear. That's right. He's, he's playing with the fourth graders. Moving folk in the block. But no, that I trust him. That's yeah. the, I trust my kids, That's but at the important. same time, you also don't trust him. Exactly. At the same it's time. kind of like Drew Locke. They, uh, yeah, you know, Drew Locke like and you're, you're uh, Sean Mannion chucking your backup quarterback in there against Philly on a Monday night. Like, can it work out? Yeah, it did last night. You've seen it done. My oldest is Drew Locke. The youngest is Tommy DeVito. <laughs> that actually checks out. Uh, we'll head out back to the phones one more time. Uh, Bob in Hillsboro. Bob, what's on your mind? Well, I hate to. I'm going to change the perspective a little bit. Okay, please do. You have to ask yourself one question. It takes 30 seconds for something bad to happen. If something bad happens to that little five-year-old, yeah. how prepared is your nine-year-old to handle that? Mm. Do you want to put that on him? Because, you know, I'm, I'm 70. I come from the era when, you know, we slept on the back of the car <laughs> yeah. up on the window. Um, it's up to you. But you'd never forgive yourself. And you put a lot on your nine-year-old. Yeah. Bob, I appreciate that. At, uh, well, I tell you what, I've completely changed my mind. I've completely changed my mind. <laughs> Bob has talked me off the ledge here. I, I will... took one piece of wisdom from Bob. <laughs> 30 seconds. And, uh, yeah, it puts it all on the nine-year-old. It ruins everyone's life. So I think – I feel like I'd be okay, but that, that last call, Judah, yeah, really, really – Really got me right there. Yeah, you'll never forgive yourself. Bob coming in from the top rope just said, hey, guys, <laughs> let's put a little, let's, let's actually think about this. Uh, nine-year-old in charge, something bad happens. It's on you. You'll never forgive yourself if something happened to the five-year-old. Oh, Steven, man. So. My wife just texted me. That guy has it right. I guess. Uh, Bob. It's fun while it lasted. Co- Coach Vaughn is a big Bob in Hillsborough fan. I'll tell you what. Thanks, Bob. Um, well. That was fun, but we're going to do a little punch and audio before we have Tori Jones come on and talk some Blazers. So, uh, Judah, let's do it. Punch and audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch and Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, I know a lot of people are not paying attention to college basketball, but I am. I'm always paying attention to college basketball, and we have a really good team in our area right now, and that is the Portland State Vikings. They are 9-3 and three on the season. They've had a couple buzzer-beater wins, and they just went on the road and beat Fresno State by three thanks to a K.J. Allen game-winning three-pointer. Here is how it sounded on Fresno State broadcast. They were not very excited. Five seconds to go. Four. Gives it over to K.J. Allen. Allen, a three-pointer at the buzzer, and he made it. They'll go to the monitor and make sure he got it off in time. But unless Eric Curry's review of the monitor overrules the shot for Allen, the Vikings will have stolen it at the buzzer with a 10-0 run. Portland State 9-3 on the season. They're 150th in Ken Palm, which is actually really good for a team in the Big Sky. They're the second-rated Big Sky team in Ken Palm, which is kind of, you know, the college basketball Bible of what you look at when the analytics, things like that. Uh, but there are numerous bracketologists who have Portland State as the best team in the Big Sky. Uh, Newby, we may be looking at an NCAA tournament team in Portland State and KJ Allen, who hit the three. Uh, you can watch him on uh, Last Chance U. He was on that documentary on Netflix. He's a good player. He used to play at Texas Tech. Um 
this Portland State team, I've watched them this season. They've had some really good wins. They shoot a lot of threes. They play a fun style. Jace Coburn was on the show. Great dude. Great coach. This is a team you can get behind and root for. I I keep checking uh, the box scores after every game, and you know they played close games. They played nail biters. They've been on the wrong end of a couple of close games as well. But I I was kind of curious to see if they could keep it up in conference play, and they have. So that's been awesome. Road win in overtime at Fresno State is a good win. That's a really really good win. So that that's awesome. And look, if they're playing good ball, it makes going down to the ship down there it's a really nice venue like it it's, it's a sweet gym sweets um you know set up down there at portland state not far from where we are doing the show right now and uh, i would encourage everybody to go out and see a game i'm gonna definitely try to go see a game this year as well um they get that place rocking and it's a lot of fun and uh, it's a good team to get behind yeah it's a team to watch out uh when it comes to march hopefully they can make some noise in that big sky tournament you know get to the ncaa tournament that's always a lot of fun you got a local team uh in there Speaking of basketball, John Morant, he is making his debut tonight. He uh, got suspended for 25 games because of all of his gun incidents. He can't be flashing guns on Instagram and get in trouble for it and then flash more guns on Instagram and think you get, you know, think you can get away from it, uh, get away with it. But John Morant will be returning tonight. Tim McMahon, he is down covering that game as the Memphis Grizzlies are taking on the New Orleans Pelicans. Coach Taylor Jenkins has said he expects John Morant to be full go. And look, the Grizzlies absolutely need him to be. This is not the similar situation as when he came back from suspension last year. Tyus Jones is not around to have kept the ship steady. They've been starting a two-way player, Jacob Gilliard, at point guard. Marcus Smart still out with a sprained foot. Derrick Rose out with a hamstring strain. So they understand the situation they're in. They are second to last in the Western Conference, not the number two seed like they were last year. They know that they need Ja to hit the ground running. He said he doesn't want to try to force a historic game right back, but they understand that the, the hole that they're in, not thinking big picture, but knowing they better start digging right away. The thing is, is Judah, is the Memphis Grizzlies have been terrible this season. Like you said, 6-19 uh, and 19 on the season. But you go back and you look last season, the Grizzlies were the two seed. And in the history, Taylor Jenkins, the head coach, John Morant, when they play, they are awesome. They are really good. 51 to 31 a season ago. They're nine and a half games back in their division. Uh, they have a long shot to make the playoffs, long shot to win the division. But I tell you what, I've, uh, I threw it. I had a free bet on DraftKings. I threw it on Grizzlies to win the division. That w- that division is winnable. John Morant coming back. If he comes back, he's healthy. Marcus Smart's going to be coming back soon. He's healthy. Jaron Jackson's been playing really well. Desmond Bain's playing well. The Grizzlies are a team to watch uh, going forward. So it'll be interesting to see how Ja plays come back because he is. I mean, regardless of what you think he is and what you think of his guns, he is one of the best players and most exciting players in the NBA. We're going to talk about the college football playoff coming up later, but Mike Norvell, Florida State head coach, he says his players are still mad that they're not in the playoff. This has been some of the toughest weeks to be a head coach. Punch it. You know, it's been challenging. I mean, it's, you know, for all the things that, uh, you know, how the, how the season ended, um, you basically got 12 hours to celebrate you know what was an unbelievable accomplishment for this team uh, then you had to learn how to work through disappointment hurt you know frustration anger all the every bit of it um and you're 18 to 22 year old kids and you're 42 year old 42 i think i'm 42 42 year old coach um you know and so um you know it's it's hard and i like to say oh no yeah just no but you know at the end of the day you control the things you control and you know we did everything that, that we needed to do to win 13 games this uh, this season. Um, now we get an opportunity to, to go get better. And so uh, you know it, it can't it can't just 
you know, be good when it sounds good. And, you know, but I get for, for a group of young men that uh, are having to work through that, I mean, it's probably been the most challenging couple of weeks of coaching I've ever had. This would be hard, man. If I was a player for Florida State, I, I, it's easy to say, like, yeah, you're, you're playing college football. You're going to get up to play Georgia. But, man, you go 13-0. and 0, You're unblemished. And you don't get to the college football playoff. And you're a brand like Florida State, and you don't get in. Man, that's got to be hard. And I, you know, you got to give Mike Norvell some credit for even just talking about it, how it still is affecting them. And it's got to be a challenge for him, man. I, I can't even imagine what how what he has said to the team to try to motivate them and keep them on keel because that was, that was a gut punch, Florida State, um, no matter what you think. And I know that the college football playoff got four better teams. I'm not saying Florida State is one of the four best teams in the nation. But, man, to go 13-0 and be a brand like Florida State and not get in the cultural playoff, that, that is brutal. That is a brutal punch. And, man, give Mike Norvell some credit for uh, you know guiding his team through that situation. That'll do it for Punch and Audio. We'll play some more uh, audio later on in the show. But coming up next, we got Tory Jones. He is a 750thegame.com contributor talking about the Portland Trailblazers. He does some pre- and post-game stuff for the Trailblazers on his YouTube channel, Blazers Uprise. He'll join us next Talk about the Portland Trailblazers as they take on the Phoenix Suns tonight. I'm Stephen Vaughn. That's Judy Newby filling in for John Canzano on the Bald Face Truth. You know, if I did leave my nine and five year old at home, Judy, I still think I'd be a good father. Although I'm not going to. I can't do it now. <laughs> After that last call, I think it all I had an emotional uh, drop off there. I still feel like I'd be a good dad. I think so. I think you're a great dad. You know, just you're- a bad decision. Yeah, I mean, hey, nobody, we all make bad decisions. Nobody's nerfed. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it happens. All right, well, I'm trust the nine year old. You know, he's got to figure it out. He's like Brandon Roy. You know, you just get it in his hands, he'll be fine. Natural. He's a natural. But, you know, make him play with Sergio Rodriguez. You never know what's going to happen. Speaking of a Brandon Roy type, uh, on the line now, we got Tori Jones of uh, Blazers Uprising, a contributor, 750thegame.com. Check out his piece right now on Scoot Henderson. Really good stuff over there. He also does. Uh, Bunch of podcasts, bunch of YouTube stuff. Him and myself do a podcast called Scorch and Trails. Check that out. I'm really the star of that, but you know he he joins in as well. Tori, what's going on, man? Welcome to uh, the Ball Face Truth for your debut. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How's it going, Steven? Ah, uh, going well, man. Uh, am I right to describe your game as Brandon Roy? Ask you know the the step backs. I I try and bring those to the table just like he did. There is a uh, video on YouTube. I don't want to talk about it that he did beat me one on one. We'll talk about that later. Uh let's get into it. Uh so your piece on 750thegame.com right now talking about Scoot Henderson. Y- you look at Scoot right now, the last couple games, he's looked like a completely different player, I would say. You know, I, I at the start of the season before he got injured, he was maybe the worst player in all the NBA, but the last you know five games or so, he has looked really well. What what do you think is going on with Scoot, and why is he looking so much better uh, as of late? Simply put, I think he's learning how to play with pace. You know, coming into the league, Stephen, he was known for his speed, and I think he over relied upon that a bit, uh, just trying to get downhill, trying to make plays. But he became too predictable. It felt like early on in the season, it was. You know, he's not going to look too much for his three-point shot. Defenders can play off him. He wasn't shooting too well. And then he was going to try and beat guys off the dribble to his right hand. And I thought he got a little too sped up early on in the season. I think he started to finally slow down a little bit. 
finally started to simply try and control the game. There's situations where he definitely needs to rely upon that quickness that he has because it's maybe his biggest strength. It's a God-given gift, but uh, I think he's done a good job of slowing down, picking his spots, and controlling the game more, playing with more of a change of pace. So I think that's the biggest difference. You know, Luka Doncic just played in Moda Center. He's a master of that. And in that game that he played against Portland, he was, uh, you know, he slowed down a lot, controlled the game. So he's a guy to look at to really exemplify that. Uh, I think Scoot's starting to figure out some of the nuances like that. Yeah, it's interesting to talk about that because it's like, when you think of basketball, you think of the quickness and the athleticism that everyone has, but it really is important to have change of speed. And Scoot is so fast and so athletic that he's, it's like you said, he's relied on it too much. He has to learn how to slow down. It just seems... It seems, you know, against what you want to do in the game, but I think you're right on with that, and he's looked a lot better as of late. But you look at this Blazers team, uh, Tori, and Scoot Henderson, I think, you know, people were a little quick to say he he's a bust already, obviously. He's 19 years old, but you look at their, you know, three of the players that you're going to build around, potentially. Scoot Henderson, Shane Sharp, Anthony Simons. Anthony Simons is, what, 23 years old? Shane Sharp is 20, Scoot 19. We've seen a three-guard lineup here in Portland. We've seen small lineups in Portland. Can these three guys end up playing together, like on the same roster, and become you know a solid team? Or at some point, are the Blazers going to have to make a decision on what two guys to go with? I'm not quite sure yet, because if Scoot, Sharp, Simons, if those guys play together, they're definitely going to have strengths uh, in any given game, and that's going to be on the offensive end. They should be able to get out and run when you have three ball handlers like that, should be able to play off each other, and that trio long-term should be extremely offensively dynamic. The question becomes, can they play any defense? And you probably don't want to end up in the same situation this Blazers team was in the past five years where they have a really good offense, but the defense isn't good enough to get them over the hump, to get them to be able to contend for a championship. So it remains to be seen. Sharp is bigger than any guard that the Blazers have had with Dame, CJ McCollum, uh, Anthony Simon, Scoot Henderson. Sharp's bigger than all of them. He has a seven foot one wingspan and can also jump. So he might have a chance to play at the small forward spot long-term next to Scoot Henderson and Anthony Simons, but I think we need to see that in action to find that out. Luckily, they have time with these these three guys being young to see if that works, but they definitely have a looming decision hanging over their heads because they're going to have to decide between keeping all three and playing all three together and probably starting all three together long-term or choosing two of the three and trading the other. Yeah, and you talk about the defense. Uh, obviously, defense is very important. We've seen in Portland how how it's been such a struggle uh, with the Damian Lillard teams, whether it's Dame's fault or not, doesn't matter. It, it, the defense just never was quite there. The Trailblazers, and I've been talking about this numerous times on this program, Tori, like the defense was really good for the Trailblazers. Like It was fun to watch Portland play some defense. They were winning games with their defense. Uh, you know, you, Whatever, you give Chauncey some credit, give the players some credit, but the last five games... The Blazers have the 28th defensive rate, 28th in defensive rating. Uh, they're all the way down to 19th now in the NBA in defensive rating. In November, they were ninth. They were a top 10 defense in all of the NBA for the whole month. What is the difference right now between the November defense when the Trailblazers are winning games and competing in games with their defense as a top 10 defense? And historically, to be a championship level team, you have to have a top 10 defense. So they were playing championship level, championship level defense. Now they're at towards the bottom of the NBA. What, what, what's been going on there? What's the difference right now? Uh, 
Actually, I thought in November they got a little bit overrated because I do think they got lucky in a way. They didn't play many dynamic ball handlers. And you've seen them up against Luka, especially. He picked apart their pick-and-roll defense. Their pick-and-roll defense has not been good the past five games or so, but they were playing a lot of teams without that really good lead guard that could pick apart uh, a bad pick-and-roll defense. So I do think some of it might have been a little bit of a product of schedule. I think DeAndre Ayton started to struggle, and he's looked a little checked out lately. I don't know what's going on with him, but uh, he – was impactful. He was near the top of the league in deflections at the start of the year, was getting steals. Now he just doesn't seem as active defensively. And part of the thing with Anthony Simons coming back is now the Blazers are playing more three-guard lineups. I think Anthony Simons gets a little bit too much flack for the defense struggling lately. Uh, Just because he came back doesn't mean he is necessarily the reason why the defense is struggling. But something with that is when they have Brogdon healthy, Scoot Henderson healthy, Shaden Sharp healthy, and Anthony Simons, they're going to have to play lineups with three of those guys, and those lineups are going to be at a deficit defensively simply because they're playing three guards. And then on top of that, when you play three guards, it makes switching even tougher. They've been switching a lot lately. Uh, There's a lot of things that go into the defense falling off in the way it has. It's probably not just one thing, but I've also noticed – This is Chauncey Billups' third season here in Portland. His first two years, the defense also started to slide in December, and that was with different rosters, different players. So it is kind of intriguing to me that this is the third year in a row where it's felt like the defense has started to slip at this time of year. Talking to Torrey Jones. Follow him on Twitter at TorreyJonesYT. Read his stuff over at 750thegame.com. Uh, check out his stuff on YouTube, Blazers Uprise. They're doing a lot of you know a lot of videos, pre-game, post-game, all that kind of stuff. Hop in with their chat. Uh, I'll join their show sometimes. We do a podcast, Scorching Trail. So check out all the stuff with Tori's everywhere uh, covering the Blazers. You talk about Chauncey Billups uh, and his defense, how they've fallen off the last, you know, as a month goes on. I have given Chauncey a little bit of credit this season. I thought for the most part through all the way through November, you know, leading in December, the team has actually played hard, which they haven't played hard the last couple of seasons. They, they just seem already checked out right away. But this year he got this team to play hard. What's your, what's your sense on Chauncey? Are you starting to think he could be an NBA coach or is it one of those situations where, you know, maybe the Blazers have the wrong guy and uh, he, he never will be an NBA coach? I think he's fine for a rebuilding team. I have questions whether he can lead a team to playoff series wins. Uh, In-game adjustments I haven't been too impressed with. And then situational late-game stuff I've also had a problem with, especially the last game when they don't call a timeout with six seconds left. uh, And Shane Sharp ultimately ends up committing a charge, and that lost the Golden State Warriors game. I don't know if he's quite at the level schematically with X's and O's and being able to scheme and being able to adjust in order to uh, be a championship caliber coach. Now with the Blazers at six and six and 19, you know, that's not really the focus right right now. It's more about development um, with these young guys, but that's kind of where I'm at. Are are they fixable issues though? Like, is it just, you know, getting more experience with Chauncey or is it getting another experienced coach? And I know they have Scott Brooks on their staff and maybe get different guys on the staff. Are, Are these issues fixable or, This is kind of on Chauncey. He has to get experience, and hopefully he learns it by himself. Yeah, I think year one, he definitely had that excuse, but this is his third season here, and a lot of times I watch games and I wonder, has he improved on anything coaching-wise? Because you expect a dude without any head coach experience, he only had one year of coaching experience at all before he came to Portland, and that was as an assistant coach with the Los Angeles Clippers. 
I expect him to struggle without that experience right away. I just don't know if he's gotten better since he became a head coach, and it's just a lot of the late-game stuff. The Blazers lose a lot of late games, uh, a lot of close games. They blow a lot of fourth-quarter leads, and that's been repetitive for the past three seasons, and it hasn't seemed to uh, have gotten any better. Um, So I think he's fine for now, Stephen. He's a guy that the players seem to respect. Um, He's a guard, so idealistically he's the right guy to develop a Shaden Sharp, Scoot Henderson, Anthony Simons because, uh, you know, he had to learn some of the same things at the point guard position uh, as those guys need to. So I'm cool with him for now, but I do have questions. Once it becomes time to win, I do have questions whether he can lead that team. Yeah, shockingly for the Blazers' record at 6-19, and they've been in quite a few games. Like, they haven't lost by a lot. You know, as a guy who likes to gamble, likes to, you know, look at the spreads, they've covered a lot of spreads this year uh, where you wouldn't expect it to happen. Even, you know, their last game against the Warriors, they end up covering that spread, uh, but, you know, they were way down, and then they come back. But, uh, you know, it's a lot of late-game situations like that. I I do want to ask you because, you know, the Trailblazers – they weren't expected to win this year, right? Like we weren't expecting them to do much. Maybe best case scenario, maybe compete for a playing spot, but that was just you know wishful thinking. Like how do you how do you go about watching these games? Like what are you watching to say and figure out? All right, like this is going to work later on. Like what is your mindset going into Trailblazer games and how how do you enjoy them? Because I enjoy them. Like I think this team is fun to watch. I think they're fun when they're out there playing. But like what do you go about and what do you what do you look for when you're watching NBA games, especially the Blazers right now when they're when they're supposed to lose. Uh, right now, it's just looking for development, looking for Scoot Henderson to play better. And, you know, I, I like to think back to 2012. I was a big Dame fan when he came into the league, even before the Blazers drafted him. That's the guy I wanted them to take a six. And he hit the ground running, but still watching his development over the first five, six years of his career, especially after Marcus Aldridge left, made it even more enjoyable once he started putting up 50, 60-point games to uh, – enjoy that and I think with Scoot Henderson he's struggled to start this year but seeing him progressively improve the past five games has been fun to watch for me and it's in my opinion the first signs of him developing into the star player that I think he'll be down the line so with guys like him guys like Sharp who had that five six game stretch recently where he was averaging 26 points per game those guys aren't going to be consistent yet the hope is one day they can do, you know, their best game this year is an average game for them. Um, because in order for this team to win, it needs to find a star, maybe two stars, maybe three stars. It needs to find key guys that can lead this team. Uh, Anthony Simons might be the closest to that. You got Jeremy Grant right now, but seeing the development out of Scoot and Shane Sharp right now is really what's fun to watch in my opinion and what will keep this team intriguing all season long is they inevitably lose a bunch of games. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're not expecting a lot of wins. Do you think, uh, you know, that superstar is on this roster right now, or do you think it's going to have to be another type of draft pick that they have to end up getting? I think most likely it's another draft pick. If Shaden Sharp can hit his ceiling, I think he has a top 10 ceiling in this league, but will he hit it? I don't know. I think Scoot Henderson has a great work ethic, uh, so I think he will grind. Uh, He will improve upon a lot of his weaknesses, and he could eventually become that borderline superstar player for the Blazers. But I think most likely, assuming they have really high draft picks in the next draft or two, I think it will probably end up being one of those selections. Trailblazers taking on the Suns tonight. Uh, Torrey Jones won. I got a question for you. 
does uh, Nurk deserve a tribute video? And two, who gets the loudest reaction from the crowd of cheers between Nurk, Nasir Little, and Drew Eubanks? Man, I'm super intrigued to see who gets the loudest cheer. Uh, I, I think it'll I be I know Nurk. who I'm cheering for, Drew Eubanks. Yeah, you love yourself some Drew Eubanks. Um, I, I would be cool with Nurk getting a tribute video. I understand why people think that he doesn't deserve one because he's a role player and was here for, what, six years, seven years? But we went through a lot with Nurkic, the Nurk fever phase to his injury in 2019 to him coming back from that. I thought he was a professional uh, on and off the floor, and I thought he was a good teammate. Like, he became a little polarizing late in his tenure in Portland, but I would be 100% cool with them giving him a tribute video. I hope they give him a tribute video because I think he's earned it. Who uh, who would you rather take right now, Nurk or DeAndre Ayton tonight? Who's going to have a better game? Better game tonight. Nurk's going to be motivated, man, and Ayton's been struggling lately. I'm going to take Nurk. <laughs> All right. You're just a Nurk guy. You you still have Nurk fever. I am. That's your problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tori, thank you, man. I appreciate you for popping on. Uh, enjoy the game tonight, and everyone, go follow Tori Jones on Twitter, at ToriJonesYT. Uh, check out his stuff on YouTube, Blazers Uprise. Read his stuff at 750thegame.com and check out our podcast, the Scorching Trails podcast, where we're talking all things Blazers. Tori, thank you uh, for coming on and taking time out of your day. Yeah, Stephen. Thanks for having me, man. All right, man. Thank you. That was Tori Jones. I want to thank him uh, for hopping on, talking some Trailblazers as the Blazers take on the Suns tonight from the Moda Center. Uh, I know I'd be cheering for Drew Eubanks first, Nurk second, and Steve Little third. That's my order. That's my <laughs> Tell me your loudest of cheers. No, uh, you can call in 503-417-7575. And also, still want to talk about if I'm a bad dad, if I leave my 9- and 5-year-old at home. I'm still debating it, but I do think I'm leaning towards not. I feel like that's the right choice. Uh, the wife has really put her foot down. I don't think she's ready to leave and go to the store with me. But uh, coming up next, we got a lot to talk about. College football play, if I want to talk about. Uh, coming up next, I want to talk about the preview. Those type of games, Washington taking on Texas, Alabama taking on Michigan. Uh, I know that a lot of people are picking Alabama. I don't think that's the right side. And I'm going to tell you why. Coming up next, Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby filling in for John Canzano on the Ball Face Truth. Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby in for John Canzano. want to thank John for letting us fill in. Thank Tori Jones for just joining us on the program, talking some Blazers. But now we're going to pay attention to the college football playoff. I think it's about time, Judah. It's about time we really dig into it, start thinking about this game. It's coming up faster than we think it is. Only a couple, you know, week and a half out or so. I'm excited about it. Uh, right now, you look at the odds here. Michigan, one and a half point favorites, maybe a two point favorite, depending on where you look. Uh, taking on Alabama, and then the other game would be a 5:45. The Alabama Michigan will be a two o'clock kick. Uh, 5:45 kick. Texas and Washington, the Pac-12 champs. Texas is a four point favorite in that one. Uh, I want to let's just go in order here. Alabama taking on Michigan. In that first game at the Rose Bowl, Pasadena, California. What a what a sight that's going to be. Two of the biggest powerhouse schools out there. Um, there's been a lot of Alabama money coming in, and that's why the spread is at one and a half. It's opened up a little higher than that, but uh, Alabama getting bet down. As I think they have a lot of momentum coming forward in Michigan, not looking as good in their past couple of games. You know, beating Iowa in the Big Ten Championship. Not a big deal. We expected that to happen. Iowa, not really a threat. We beat them 26-0. Beat Ohio State 30-24. to Then, of course, at Maryland, they 31-24 win. And then at Penn State, 24-15. So they've struggled really the last four games of really putting teams away. 
Uh, and Alabama, of course, beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. Judah, what's your thoughts on this game right now going forward? For, for me, I like Michigan. I like Michigan in this game. And I, and I know that Alabama has a lot of momentum after beating Georgia. But Jalen Milrow, he lost his job early in the year. I don't know how you make that decision. Like, you look at the other quarterbacks on their roster. How did you ever bench that guy? He is way better than them. I don't think he's, though, I don't think he's one of those elite quarterbacks that Alabama's had in the past. When you look at Tua or Jalen Hurts, I don't think they have the running game like they've had in the past. And I also don't think their defense is as good as it once was. Like, this isn't an elite Alabama team. They've struggled in numerous games this season. In fact, they should have lost at Auburn. The fourth and 32, fourth and goal at the 32-yard line, they convert that. They don't do that. They're not in the college football playoff. Like, I think this Alabama team is getting a little bit of a bump because they beat Georgia, which obviously you deserve a bump if you beat Georgia. But I think they were overrating them just slightly in this game where you look at Michigan, and I know that they've struggled as well, but they have handled everybody else besides that. And the Jim Harbaugh thing with Jim Harbaugh now back on the sidelines, I think that's going to motivate a lot of these players. It's us against the world type of mentality. Nobody's, you know, Michigan's the number one team. And it seems like all I see is Alabama is getting picked to go to the national title game. Back against the wall, Jim Harbaugh, the whole cheating scandal thing, whatever it is, I think they have a lot of motivation. I think that they have you know, the better quarterback in J.J. McCarthy, even though he hasn't been as good. The one thing I worry about with Michigan is their pass protection has not been great the last couple of games. They, they've been giving up some pressure, and I think Alabama can take advantage of that. But as long as Michigan can block somewhat for J.J. McCarthy, that running game is great with Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards. I'd like Michigan in this game to get to the national title. What are you thinking right now? It's a fascinating matchup. I think Nick Saban in the Rose Bowl is just an aesthetic. I can Saban get. versus Harbaugh at the Rose Bowl? It's great. Give man. me that all day. That will be a fantastic uh, little scene. Uh, Jim Harbaugh in the playoff, it, you know, <laughs> wake me up when he comes through in a big game. You know what I mean? Uh, I think someone mentioned the other day, like in the last three years, They've lost more playoff games than they have regular season games. Uh, the TCU still sticks in my craw. You know, how they could let that happen, I have no idea. Um, they've gotten run off the field at the Orange Bowl before. So, I don't know. Maybe there's just something about Jim Harbaugh that this long layoff and getting guys ready for a big New Year's Six, maybe it's just not in his style and he's just more of a, a coach that – when he's not suspended, can uh, work his way through a regular season. How many games did the guy coach in this year, by the way? Five, six? I don't know. He was suspended to start the year, suspended to finish the year. I have no idea how many times he's actually on the on the sidelines. Smart, there. making a lot of money, year. not having to do a lot. Freaking brilliant. Uh, Jalen Milrow, what a, what a fascinating test case. I mean, he's clearly uh, a different type of quarterback than he was early in the year. Like, I remember watching the South Florida game, and there was weather delays and stuff, and it was just like, Man, Alabama's struggling around with South Florida. What's going on? And, you know, I kind of mentally wrote them off. And the Oregon Ducks were always ranked ahead of them. Obviously, Texas was ranked ahead of them. And, but they still, there was a, there was a time there where Oregon State and Alabama were neck yeah. and neck in the CFP rankings. And I was just like, what world are we living in? This is amazing. Beavers and Saban, you know, side by side in the CFP. And then, but they just never, never lost again. I think the, the Auburn game, it's a rivalry game. It's on the road. They needed a miracle to win it. Boy, would have done a lot of favors if they lost that game. And, you know, Georgia would, uh, well, in theory, Georgia would be in even if they had lost to Alabama. But Florida State would have definitely been in. And it would have been a fascinating conversation. I, I agree with you. I think from a talent standpoint, Alabama a little bit overrated at this point right now. But I think what most people have in their minds is you're giving me Saban versus Harbaugh in a big game. Yeah. 
Like, where's your money going? But I do applaud you for making the case for Michigan because you're right. All year long, they've looked like a better football team. You talk about the Michigan college football playoff performance in the past sticking your crowd. The Auburn game, I can't forget it. They should have lost to Auburn, and that was two games ago. Michigan is a completely different team from last season. Like They brought back a lot of guys, but that's a year ago, not two weeks ago. So I don't know. I like Michigan. We'll touch on the uh, other game uh, next hour, but coming up next, we've got the 5-5. Five five. Later on, also, surprise treat, final segment. Bill Shonley, think about it. Now, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Stephen Vaughn and Judah Newby with the bald-faced truth. It's the happy hour. Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby filling in for John Canzano. We got a big, 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 big final hour here for the happy hour. We got the five of five. I want to talk some Blazers. Got some Blazer takes I want to get out as they take on the Suns tonight. I do want to touch on the other college football playoff matchup between Texas and Washington. I kind of think that matchup is more intriguing than the Alabama-Michigan game on the field. But off the field, I think it's the Alabama-Michigan game with Saban and Harbaugh. Like That's kind of the game I would rather watch. But I think on the field, the Texas-Washington game could actually be a better game. And uh, I'm excited for that one. We'll talk about that game coming up later on and what we think the potential national championship matchup will be. Uh, and then later on in the hour, a Christmas tradition that we have here at the Bald Face Truth. Bill Shonley, I mean, the voice of the Portland Trailblazers, the mayor of Rip City, reading just what? They're not Christmas, Christmas stories, I guess. Not Christmas carols. That's the wrong word. Christmas stories. I mean, you can't get any better than that. Listen to the Shans. So we'll... Uh, We'll play those as tradition does. Can't wait for that. Lot going on in the world of sports. And Judah Newby, he has decided in his mind, because he is the ruler of all things final decisions. The top five stories of the day. And we do that every day. It's called the five at five. Hit it. The five at five. Number one. Number one. Nailed it. Also, uh, final decision maker on all things. Uh, is it okay if I tell my wife that? Yeah, all totally, right. totally. Glad. I, uh, hey, that's what I'm here for. Well, speaking of decisions, John ja Morant had to serve a 25 gamer. Little susp for uh, for John ja Morant flashing <laughs> them guns on the gram. Uh, but he is back, baby. He is back tonight. Checking on that in his debut, late first quarter, Memphis Grizzlies 22, New Orleans Pelicans 19, 40 seconds to go in the first quarter, and uh, John Morant started, played seven minutes so far, he's got three points, one for two from the floor, and an offensive rebound, and an assist, and a block shot to hmm. his name already. Doing it all. That's what it sounds like to you know, me. He's Mr. Do it all. I, I know you. you're high on, uh, you're high on Ja. Here. I mean, Ja, look. <laughs> You can think what you want about Jaw. The gun thing, not great. Not a great look to be flashing guns and then get told not to flash guns and then go out maybe like a couple weeks later and flash more guns. Like, that's just not a good look. And it's also not a good look to uh, allegedly punch a kid at his own backyard at a uh, basketball court. Not great looks for Jaw. But you know what? When you get Jaw Moran on the basketball court, dude is a legitimate superstar. And sometimes we throw the term superstar out too loosely. No, John Morant is that. 26 points a game last year, eight assists, you know, top 10 score, top five assists. He gets rebounds. 
led the Grizzlies to a number two seed in the Western Conference last season. And the Grizzlies added Marcus Smart to take some pressure off of him on the defensive side because Ja can now focus more on offense. And Jaron Jackson Jr. was the defensive player of the year. Like, the Grizzlies, they've struggled very badly this year, 6-19 and in the 25 games Ja is suspended. But it's still early on in the season. I mean, we're just a fourth of the way through the season. And Ja coming back, man, I think Memphis is a team to watch out. And you want to, you know, you look going forward. If Memphis has a chance to get to that play-in tournament and win in the play-in tournament, you face them in the first round, you're a one seed. You're taking on the Memphis Grizzlies as an eight seed. That's something you don't want to do. So I think it's something to look out for uh, to see how high Memphis can get up in the standings. Are they too far back? It is it is possible. But, man, when Jaw plays, not only is he just great, he's maybe the most entertaining player to watch, but he's just awesome on the court. So I'm, I'm excited to see Jaw come back, uh, give a little excitement, and hopefully you know he figures out not to be flashing guns on the gram and the talk and the book. Number two. All of them. Uh, I saw this. This is interesting. Tiger Woods may not be wearing the Nike swoosh in 2024. I know. The Star Golfers endorsement partnership with Nike that has spanned nearly three decades could be coming to an end. First report of a possible parting of ways came on the No Laying Up podcast. And on the podcast, Nike... Uh, is thought to have been considering severing partnerships with several golfers. Uh, Roy McIlroy and Scotty Scheffler, also notable Nike endorsers, as the Beaverton-based apparel and shoe behemoth moles shuttering its golf division. That's a little disappointing. Tiger and Nike, it's like peanut butter and jelly, man. I don't know. That's that's wild. Uh, we talking be, about... Uh, Skippy? Jif? I am a... Uh... Creamy, chunky? I'm a creamy guy, for sure. Organic? Yeah, I like an organic. I like an organic Skippy. I also really like almond butter, too. That is delicious. Delicious. But yeah, I'm a big peanut butter guy as well. So, uh, But yeah, Tiger Woods, I mean, going away from Nike, it's crazy because, you know, thinking back before Tiger, Nike didn't really have, like, a golf division, right? Like, the golf division is Tiger Woods. And you think it, you just think of Tiger, you know, on 18 and the red shirt, and the black hat with the Nike swooshes on it, and then the Tiger Woods brand and how all that's done for golf. It would be it would be weird to see Tiger Woods in uh, different gear and see where the Nike golf brand really you know goes from there. Like you know, because Tiger is that brand, they're going to go away from that and get someone else. I, I would find that interesting and a little disappointing because I, I I love Nike. I'm a big Nike guy. You know, being from around here. I'm always sporting Nike stuff, and uh, you got a sweet Columbia hoodie on today. I got my got a new Columbia hoodie. Went out to the uh, employee store. Yes, right. That's right, baby. Got a couple near. Uh, got a hoodie. What do you think of this color? It's oh, great. It's Christmas color, and I like the okay. kind of like armored pattern. Yeah, on top. I was a little worried that I couldn't pull it off, to be honest. Oh, you can pull off anything. It's really hot if though. you believe in yourself. No, I've tried to pull off things that don't work. Trust me. And uh, this was one. I just didn't know if I could pull the color off, but I think I pulled it off. Yeah. But you got Tiger Woods stuff. I got Tiger Woods golf stuff. You got Tiger Woods golf stuff? I have some TaylorMades, which I know he plays with now. Uh, I'm but do you have any like, Tiger bringing, Woods gear, like shirts or anything? No. No T-Dub, no T-Dub stuff but You're a big Tiger think, guy. You're a big oh, Tiger guy. I love guy. Tiger. Yeah, who doesn't love a little uh, Eldrick in their life? I'm fascinated by his uh, human arc, but I'm also, uh, I support him on the course. Masters 2019. That was game one yeah. of the Blazers-Oklahoma City series. 
I was on my way to Moda Center while he was finishing up winning the Masters. I was a, I was wild, uh, wild, wild Sunday, and that was really cool. Nike has already shut down its golf equipment division, um, yeah. so they stopped making clubs a while ago. But then this might be shuttering the entire golf division entirely. So which would be, I mean, would be interesting. It would be interesting to see if they try to rebuild it up with some gear of someone else. But yeah, it's just no one has the power like Tiger does when it comes to golf. Like even Tiger now, like. I mean, you're gonna, we're going to look in 20 years, and it's still going to be Tiger Woods golf stuff ruling the world, just like Michael Jordan. It's it's the Jordan brand. It's the Tiger Woods brand. It's bigger than it's bigger than the sport. Yeah, it's it's definitely transcended everything. But Tiger has so many good moments. I remember the uh, the Rocco Mediate playoff. Yeah, him and Tiger. Like that's the one I will never forget. The U.S. Th- Open, I think 08, when yeah. he was on a pretty much a broken leg, and here comes Rocco. Just- yeah. Rocco was un- unreal. Unreal in the that Every man just pushing Tiger to a 18 hole Monday. Rocco. Can you imagine Tiger unreal, loses to Rocco? Dude. A guy named Rocco. He almost did. And he almost did. But no, even with the broken leg, it didn't matter. He, can't stop and he almost lose to, or did he lose to Y.E. Yang in a major? Yeah. That was also coming down to the wire. I remember Tiger, 05 Masters. That's one of my top moments on 16, the chip in. I, I saw that live. And I, you know. I'll never forget yeah, that. That's got to be cool. I, my history teacher was over for the day for some reason. I don't know. Great guy, but we were. I was just like I was in f- like fifth grade or something watching the chip in. And I was like, "You're oh friends my with God. your fifth grade history teacher?" Well, he was like he, you know, he, he taught like a lot of my siblings, you know, because he taught a bunch okay. of different classes, different okay. grades. Okay. So I don't know. Yeah. All right, number three. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Number three. Um. So we were talking Tommy DeVito before the show. So Tommy Cutlets apparently agreed to make an appearance at the uh, at a local pizzeria in New York City. And once he became big time by beating the Packers on Monday night, reportedly he raised his appearance fee. He doubled his appearance fee from 100 grand to uh or excuse me, 10 grand to 20 grand to make an appearance fee. And so the pizzeria that apparently agreed with DeVito to make an appearance. They're like, 20 grand for two hours? That's too much. So they wrote about it on social media. They said, hey, sorry, Tommy DeVito won't be appearing at our local pizzeria because, you know, he doubled his appearance fee from 10 to 20 grand, and we can't afford that. Well, that didn't look great on Tommy DeVito. So today he ended up showing up to the New Jersey-based pizzeria to make an appearance for free. That's right. How about it? Tommy DeVito turning it around. Don't call it a comeback. Another PR comeback for Tommy DeVito. He goes to Coniglio's Old Fashioned Pizzeria in Morristown, and uh, DeVito shows up without uh, charging them an appearance fee at all, and all is right with the world, and he's taking the photo ops and everything. He can do no wrong, Tommy DeVito. I cannot call him Tommy DeDiva anymore. What's that noise? I thought you were playing it. No, not that I know. Um... Sorry, Tommy the Diva. No, the Diva. I got another uh, open window. Oh, you're good. Um, no, that's good. Good. I mean, obviously, it was a, playing a random sound effect. That would be cool. I like that though. <laughs> it, it was a terrible look for Devito to not show up, and then the pizza place to call him out and be like, "Nah, we're still not going to show up." I mean, this was an obvious PR decision. Be like, "Yeah, hey Tommy, just go go to the pizza place. Everyone's going to love it." Now there is more news uh, breaking out. Tommy Devito, after mending fences with the pizzeria owner. Pro Football Talk is saying that DeVito has also hired a new agent marketing Whoa. rep, freezing out Sean Stilato. Now, can't confirm or deny that's true, but Pro Football Talk has tweeted that out. 
Uh, I don't think I'm getting trolled here by a different one. Looks like it's spelled the correct way, but uh, hires a new market rep, so Stellato will still be a part of it, but uh, DeVito will now, uh, he has retained Max, Max Lepselter? Max Lepselter to handle his off-field endorsement deals. Max. So Stellato, who's making news because he looks like a, just a mob guy. Boy, yeah, he was he, making the rounds. He's making the rounds. He was becoming a real celebrity. He is out as the marketing guy for Tommy DeVito, man. That's, just, uh, that's a major shift. Tommy DeVito. Now he's him Tommy and, DeVito, uh, DeVito again. Him and Big Dom can just go away. <laughs> I heard this take from he a Giants. just hire Big Dom as his marketing guy. I was listening to this podcast and his Giants fan said he just hopes that the Giants lose every game by a bunch so they don't have to hear about Tommy DeVito competing to be the number one quarterback on the Giants next season. Like they want him to fail so they don't have to talk about it because like he's fine. It was a fun story. It was good for a week or two. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Tommy DeVito, I think back up that best case scenario, but Good little story indeed. No doubt about it. But uh, the agent, I did not see that one coming. That one so. just came out a couple minutes ago. Wild. Wild. Just number four. Keeps getting better. All right. Number four, uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, goes on McAfee again. And, you know, I just love how this story keeps playing out. The guy uh, miraculously healed from his fully torn Achilles tendon. I've never seen uh, Achilles torn worse or more fully than Aaron Rodgers is on the first. I've never seen it. It was it was the worst injury, and uh, but he was he was 100% healthy. He was ready to play, uh, but now it, it doesn't look like he is going to play for the New York Jets. Stephen, uh, this is what he said on McAfee today. Um, I think the whole time it's been, uh, you know, hoping that we're still in it uh, because it it was unrealistic to think that I would be uh, 100%. Uh, to be medically cleared um, at any point during the regular season. Um, I do feel like, uh, you know, in the next three to four weeks, uh, it would be very possible to get to 100%, um, but obviously not there. And, and so the conversation was uh, away from 100% medical clearance to a willingness to play. And that's never been a problem for me. So he says it was unrealistic to uh, expect him to have been 100% shocker. I feel like he was telling us earlier that he was going to be 100%. Yeah. Am I wrong or am I misremembering? I don't really know one way or the other. <laughs> other than he definitely made us, he led us to believe that he was way closer to being able to come back. And now that the Jets are out of it, he's saying, yeah, I was never all that close to really being able to come back. I feel like I've been saying this the whole time. Like, I never expected Aaron Rodgers to come back this season. Because if you truly tore your Achilles in week one, I know medical science is great now. You're not coming back from a torn Achilles. Like you're just not like that. You, it's impossible to do that right now. And so, I never truly believed Aaron Rodgers. Now, I would love to be wrong. I would love for Aaron Rodgers to come out week 18 just be like, "Hey, I proved everyone wrong and I'm back." That'd be awesome. It'd be sick story. But I think now that the Jets are out for sure, like Rodgers is kind of like, yeah, you know, it's it was unrealistic to come back. It was just one of those things. I think he wanted to. Uh, draw some attention to himself and he did a great job of that he did a great job and he always comes out you know on the right side of history with all this stuff it's amazing look rod i, I like it rod. i think he's funny. i do too i, I think like he's him. funny i like him. i think he's funny i think he just good quarterback i think he completely just trolled everybody this entire time no question thinking that he actually had a chance to come back from a torn achilles in week one like no way man no way he had a chance i i, I just don't believe that at all so um unfortunate because i did want to see how they look now what do you think about this judah it seems like Robert Sala will be back. Joe Douglas will be back. Aaron Rodgers, as he also uh, on the McAfee interview said, he supports those guys. 
the GM and the coach, there were some rumors, some whispers that maybe they were going to be out. What do you think of that? If uh, Rodgers coming back next season, if Robert Sala is still the coach, is that is that the right guy to lead the Jets? Yeah. What, what do you think of him as a coach? I like Sala. And look at the defense. I mean, they they kick some serious butt most uh, most times. They they definitely lose their motivation when they see Zach Wilson out there throwing up goose eggs for what? It's not inspiring. Six of the last eight quarters, you know, Zach Wilson hasn't scored a point and he got knocked out of the Miami game. So, yeah, I think over time the offense wears on the defense, but defense looks great. It really comes down to the offense. And, look, they got, you know, Nate Hackett calling plays and – I don't know, man. Obviously, you'd hope it'd be different with Rodgers. I would hope Rodgers would have the GMs back. He bent over backwards to sign guys like Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard, you know, to the team. So, yeah, I would hope that Rodgers had Joe Douglas's back. Um, But they need a little bit more offensive continuity. And obviously, the whole point of Rodgers being there and and Hackett being there was their relationship together formed in Green Bay. So um, there's a lot on Rodgers' shoulders, though, frankly, when he does come back, that he's got to perform. Otherwise... All of this was all for nothing. Am I crazy to think if Rodgers was on the Jets and healthy this season, the Jets are a true contender to make the Super Bowl with how wide open the AFC is? Well, that's what I that's what I thought too. I thought they were definitely like the know, way it's played out. Be a contender because defensively they've got everything that they the way, need. The way it's played out too in the AFC, like there's no no the one team. thing. The off, offensive line has always been bad for them. Yeah, and they've had you know guys of. Uh, you know, stature, draft capital. They don't have to Brickishaw Ferguson anymore. Boy, what a that is like a top name. Of Nick football. Mangold. Uh, yeah, Nick Mangold, great player. But to Brickishaw Ferguson, how do you get a better name than that? Amazing. You, you know a he's going to football block, name. Though. Yeah, top football name right there. They need along with Howard Mud, the late Howard <laughs> Mud. What a great football name. One of the best offensive line coaches, Howard Mud. Rest <laughs> in peace. Number five. So, National Signing Day is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, ducks and Beavers all in there. It looks like um, you know, Oregon has got a pretty strong class, as always, uh, getting ready to sign and uh, see where the Duckies kind of land in the ranks of like the top 25. Right now, USC has the 17th uh, best recruiting class ahead of signing day. You got Auburn at like 11th, Notre Dame's at 10th, and the Oregon Ducks right now, according to 247 Sports, have the ninth ranked recruiting class ahead of tomorrow's National Signing Day. Their top-rated commit is a five-star edge named Elijah Rushing, who, if memory serves, flipped from Washington to Oregon uh, during the season. I wonder, we're not going to see it play out tomorrow. Like It's not going to give us the answer, but I wonder as time goes on, what the recruiting likes for the what the recruiting looks like for the Ducks now that they're in the Big Ten. Like they're already kind of a national brand, but does it even make it more, even more of a national brand now that they're going to be going to the Big Ten and they're going to be playing teams, you know, in, in the Midwest and you know in Michigan and Ohio? Like, is, are they going to be even more noticeable? And the fact that they have all that money in that program is it going to make their recruiting go even higher than what it is? Like, I, have we not even reached the top of the potential? For the Oregon Ducks recruiting-wise, we're obviously not going to find out in this recruiting class, but in like five years, I wonder if they're still in the Big Ten and the format of college football is still like this. I am going to be very intrigued to see, are the Ducks a continuous top three recruiting class every year? Like, are they up there with the SEC teams every single season? 
because of the money and the fact that they're in the Big Ten and the fact that they are in, you know, they're one of the players in the power conferences. I, I'm gonna, I'm so intrigued by that. Yeah, I don't know how much going to do a different conference will impact their recruiting because it's all, it was already very, it was already good great, but like in the Pac-12, don't would, you think it would, ra- it could raise it even potentially? I think so. I think so. I, I, to me, it depends on how well they do, especially in road games in the Big Ten. Because if you start going to Iowa and Nebraska and somehow losing those games, yeah, there will be a perception that, like, no, you were always a West Coast school. That Soft. You, you didn't have it in you to play a Big Ten schedule, especially road games in That's this good conference. Point. But if they go out and win those games with regularity and get in the playoff regular, regularly out of the Big Ten, then, yeah, I think it can even heighten. That's a good point because we always talk about the Ducks like going to the Big Ten and it's always like, oh yeah, they're going to, you know, play these teams like Iowa and Rutgers and Maryland. And we just assume they're going to win. But like a team like Iowa is good. Like, I mean, I think Oregon's obviously better and they're a better program, but those aren't like gimme games like against teams like Iowa. So I'm very intrigued by that, uh, the way it goes forward. And, you know, you look at Oregon State right now, they are, uh, you know, they're getting some some players into their team with the transfer portal with the signing day. Uh, Kalen Gutridge, he's an Oregon guy. Uh, he's at Wilsonville, three-star quarterback. He committed to Oregon today. To Oregon? Oregon State, Oregon sorry. State. Oh, Oregon okay. State, I'm sorry. Oregon State. Oh, go Beefs. Wilsonville. By the way, Elijah Rushing, I, I said, he decommitted from Arizona, mm. not UW. I was trying to give Oregon a, uh, a free win over UW and couldn't do it. He de- decommitted yeah. from Arizona and picked the Ducks. Hey, you know what? The Ducks need to earn a win against Washington. Boy, do they ever. Boy, if you can't get him now. When can you? If he, You're never going to get him. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing if you lose to Washington. Man. <laughs> Thanks for that, softy. That that goes down to history. All right, that's the 5 Judah, college football playoff is coming up soon. I can't wait. We talked about the Alabama-Michigan game first uh, in the 4 o'clock hour. I like Michigan in the game. I think Michigan's going to win. I think they cover the game. I'll be interested to see where that spread goes. Me as a gambler, I think more Alabama money's coming in. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a pick em. Michigan one-and-a-half point favorites right now. If it's a pick or even Alabama slight favorite going into that game. Where is it right now? Michigan's at one Michigan's and a half? Michigan's minus one-and-a-half. That tells you something. I would have thought that almost Alabama could be favored in this spot. But because Michigan's favored, that tells you that they're at least a more talented football team, which they are, you would think. I think so. And you're saying you, I, think I we feel over, like it's a sharp play to to bet Michigan in this spot. I think we're overrating Alabama just slightly this season. And I might be way off on this. Maybe I'm way off. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. But I feel like Alabama's getting a little overblown. So I like Michigan in the game. I'm going to wait a little bit later to see before I bet it. I'm hoping I can get Michigan, you know, at a minus one ten on a pick, or maybe even you know one or one half point dog. I think it'd be great. Get a plus money on it in that money line. Who's got the better quarterback? You think? That's a good question. I think they're same initials. Jalen Milrow, JJ McCarthy. Yeah, I'm all about the J names myself. You are a big J name because you're a Jude newbie. Um, I'm a JSN because I've got a middle name that starts. You're a Jackson Smith and Jigba. My favorite player ever. Now Jackson Smith and Jigba. Especially after that touchdown. How much are you betting on the Seahawks to make the playoffs now? Oh no, I'm mortgage the other way. Mortgage way. I'm scared as heck that they're going to find a way to screw it up. I think I trust JJ McCarthy a little more than Jalen Milrow. I think I do in this spot. Jalen Milrow is more talented because he can run around. He can make a play. He can throw the ball deep down the field. But I think right now, I don't think they're going to put McCarthy in two biggest spots where he's going to make a mistake. So give me J.J. McCarthy in the matchup. But 
I think Alabama wins the game. So I think Alabama's going to the cultural playoff national championship. Wait, you do? I thought you were going to bet Michigan. What did I say? You just said Alabama. Sorry. Yeah, I like Michigan. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. That's confusing. Sorry. Give me Michigan. I like yeah. Michigan. I like Michigan. To win the game. Michigan to win the game. Get to go the, to the national championship. Get to the final. Yeah, not Alabama. I like Michigan. Make and play. We'll find out at Ooh. the end of the break. Yeah. <laughs> Cultural playoff has uh, talk more about that. Texas taking on Washington. That point spread is interesting as well. Texas is a four-point favorite over the Pac-12 champions, the undefeated Pac-12 champions. I want to talk about this game, see what we like in this one. Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby filling in for John Canzano on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby filling in for John Canzano here on the Bald Face Truth. We are getting awfully close to Christmas. I can't wait. I love Christmas time, but now that my son, he is uh, a Christmas baby, really starting to... uh, and start to celebrate Christmas and his birthday. It's just a, just a weird vibes here as he's going to be five, but uh, that's a whole other story, man. The Christmas baby is a cool thing, but the other good thing about getting close to Christmas and New Year, good and bad. College football playoff, good. College football season ending, bad. But I tell you what, college football playoff matchups this year are great. The four teams, Alabama, Michigan, Texas, Washington. I think Alabama going to lose to Michigan. I think Michigan gets the job done and Michigan will be in the national title. And they take on the winner of Texas and Washington. Texas is a four-point favorite over Washington. Uh, Kalen DeBoer, the head coach of Washington, was named AP Coach of the Year today. Well-deserved. Maybe maybe the best coach in the nation. I mean, is that X to nose-wise? Would you rather have any other? Oh, maybe, maybe not, but he's right up there. Um, Judah, I love, I love the over, first of all, in this game. I think this game flies over. I think this game has the potential to be in the 40s for both teams. I don't trust the Washington defense. I don't trust the Texas defense either. Like Texas has a has a really good front seven. But Washington's offensive line has held up all season long and kept Michael Penix somewhat upright. And as long as Penix gets some type of protection, he's going to be able to sling the ball around to all those receivers. Those receivers are so good. Uh, the total is at 63. Yeah, I like way over in this game uh, between Texas and Washington. But I think Texas is going to be able to score in Washington as well. The Washington defense has played a lot better the second half of the season. I think we questioned if it was real or not. And then they showed up against Oregon in that first half, and we thought, man, maybe they are really good. Then you look at the second half of that Pac-12 title game, and the Ducks had it. The Ducks had them where they wanted them, and they were going up and down the field. I thought they did a really good job. I still don't trust the Washington defense enough to say, yeah, we're going to be able to stop Quinn Ewers and that prolific Sark offense. Sark's going to have some wrinkles up his sleeve, have a nice game plan. No matter what you think of Sark, he, he's a good offensive coach. So I think it's going to be high scoring. But give me Michael Penix Jr. and Kalen DeBoer to win on the field. I think Washington, I think the coaching advantage is in Washington's favor with Kalen DeBoer over Sarkeesian. I think Michael Penix Jr. is the better college quarterback over Quinn Ewers. Maybe in the NFL, Quinn Ewers is better. Not sure. But I think if you're looking at the matchup right now, I'd take Michael Penix Jr., so give me the better quarterback, the better coach, and you're going to give me points. I like Washington to win the game, so I'm going to take plus four, but I think Washington wins the game and plays Michigan in the national championship game mm. uh, for the national title. What, what do you think about this game? I like Washington as well. Um, obviously, I'm I'm trying to maybe watch a little bit more Texas over the next week or so and get a feel for what they do well. Uh, I like your call of the over. You know, indoors, Sugar Bowl, looks, it feels like there's going to be explosive plays. We just saw these two teams, these two brands, uh, lock horns, as it were, 
in the Alamo Bowl last year. I was like, when I saw Washington versus Texas, I'm like, man, where? I thought we already did the Sark against UW thing. That that was, you know, the Alamo Bowl where didn't he get super pissed off at one of the event coordinators or whatever that was trying to hold Texas back in their, you know, in their tunnel, and then his eyes just lit up and he shoved somebody and he got really mad and had to apologize for it. So. You know, big game, Sark versus DeBoer. Again, yeah, I favor DeBoer. I also, that Washington defense, they have gotten better, and in big games, they, they've shown up. That number 91 on their defensive line, Thule Letugasanoa. Um, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but he is a beast, and like he really gave Oregon State problems. He definitely gave Oregon problems. Um, obviously, uh, Trice. Uh, number eight out on the edge. He's more of an NFL prospect as well. But between 91 in the middle and, and Trice on the edge and ZTF still doing things for them, like they've got dudes. I, you know, they're a 93rd ranked defense or whatever people are pointing out, but they're playing a lot better than that. Also, I think the month to prepare helps them. And we can't forget the month also really helps the health of one Michael Penix Jr., who should be in fine form. You know, the, the only reason he didn't win the Heisman is probably because he got banged up in that Oregon game October 14th and was working his way back from that the rest of the season. But he should be fine and ready to go for this one, and I agree with you. I think Washington is a very live dog. I've got them winning the game outright. And uh, the overplay, why not? I think that's just exciting football, and there should be a lot of explosive plays. Yeah, I, I, think, I think this game has more potential to be one of those epic games that goes down to the wire. You know, teams are just going back and forth, scoring every single possession, and it's going to be who has the ball last to win the game. Like, I think that's how this game could really up, could up ending um, with Texas and Washington because the Texas offense is going to be good as well, and I just don't know that I trust the Washington defense. You talk about Michael Penix getting healthy. What about Roma Dunze getting healthy too? Like, you know, the thing was he he said he broke a rib, punctured a lung. He just kept playing. Just kept Just kept dominating. Uh, he he did this recovery nonsense kick against Arizona. That was the game before Oregon. He had the bye week, but then played against Oregon as well. But punctured lung, broken rib. I mean, give him a month. Now he's going to be somewhat more healthy. And Michael Penix Jr. is going to be as healthy as he's been all season long. And we saw Penix at the start of the year. First, you know, four games of the season. He's thrown for 400 plus yards. Like that offense was unstoppable. So I'm with you. I think that the the, the time off really favors Washington. And then I also think it favors Caitlin DeBoer. Like, you give DeBoer a month to come up with some schemes and things against Texas. I, I love, I love Washington to win this game. I love the over. I think Washington's going to be in the forties and Texas is going to have to keep scoring just to hold up with them. Like I, I, I know that Washington, I kind of downgraded them a little bit this season. Penix was not healthy. He wasn't playing well. I picked Oregon state to beat him. I picked Oregon to crush him. Looking okay. terrible. Remember who was favored in both of those games? Uh, not Washington. Not Washington. Uh, I look terrible in those in those situations now. Looking back, hindsight 2020, uh, Stevens an idiot. Not the first time I've been wrong. Won't be the last. But I think the fact that they're going to get healthy, that really changes it for me. Because at the start of the year, you go back to the Oregon-Washington game, the first one, in Seattle. I liked Washington in the game. I think when Washington's healthy, they are just as good as any team in the nation. And now I think they're going to be as healthy as they have been all season long, Judah, and going against a Texas team where, you know what, they've been up and down this season. You know, they beat Alabama, but they've had some really close games against Kansas State. And, you know, you look, you look at the Big 12 title, they play Oklahoma State, not even a challenge because Oklahoma State's not very good. I know Texas won at Alabama. That's a great win. Alabama's a completely different team now than they were back then. I, I like Washington to win this game, but I think it's going to be a really fun game 
and it's going to be back and forth. I think it's going to be a lot of fireworks. I'm I'm more excited for the on-the-field product of this game. I'm more excited for the off-the-field product, with the, just the, the storylines with Harbaugh and Saban in the first game. But I think the second game has the potential to be one of those classic college football playoff matches, kind of like the Oklahoma-Georgia game back in the Rose Bowl, back in the day, Baker Mayfield. That was a wild game. And that, similarly to what we got this year, is is that was a couple of programs that don't normally play in the Rose Bowl, right? Oklahoma and Georgia, and that uh, that was a, a fascinating game. I'm trying to place that year because, um, uh, uh, was that 2000, maybe 15, something around there, when uh, Georgia went on. Georgia won that game and uh, ended up playing Alabama in the national title, and that was the Tua national title, I think, uh, beating Georgia. So uh, Tua, Jalen Hurts national title. Just another layer of familiarity with between Washington and Texas is the uh, Texas defensive coordinator is Pete uh, Kwiatkowski, who was the defensive coordinator at UW for about seven years from 2014 through 2020. He was still D.C. under Jimmy Lake in that 2020 COVID season, and he's now Sark's D.C. at Texas. Mm. So the the crossover, the cross-hatching between the Longhorns and the and the Huskies runs deep than uh, deeper than you would think for a, for a Big 12 Pac-12 game. But this definitely has it. And then, look, if Washington wins and Bama wins, you can Washington-Bama. I mean, there's a lot of, like, regional pride. I wonder if Duck fans at that point, like, what do you do if Washington gets to the national championship? Like, you can't root for them, right? Or dare you, you know? Do you want a team from – you want your rival winning a national title in the modern age of college football? But what if they beat Bama to do it? Slash I feel all, like – What all that means going forward? That's... What would you – would you – if you're a Duck fan, you're a diehard Duck fan, can you cheer for Washington? I can't. No way. No way. No way. I. There's no way that you want Washington to even beat Texas. This isn't the SEC. Exactly. No, you you need to – if you're a Duck fan, you're definitely rooting for Washington to lose to Texas. Yeah, just so you can laugh at them. Yeah, like, and you don't want them to, you know, go any further than you did. At least you got to the national title game in 2014. You won a playoff game. Yeah, Washington's 0-1 in the playoff, um, you know, against Bama, obviously, ironically. But if they have a chance to play them again, then you'd get the Ryan Grubb against Nick Ooh. Saban, and Nick tried to hire Ryan Grubb yeah. in the offseason, so you'd get that storyline well, as well. said, get out of here, Nick. Yeah. What do you think, uh, out of the two games, which has more – blowout potential is mm. it the texas washington game and who has a more likely chance to blow someone out i mean i don't i i don't think it's the texas washington game you don't think so you think unless Penix gets hurt but i don't think he does i think that offense at uw is too good unless i'm like dramatically dramatically underrating texas's defense like if there are a bunch of just dudes and Washington can't do anything, I, but that's. Am I no crazy way. to think the most likely upset is Washington over Texas? Um, as opposed to Bama beating Michigan by a by twenty. Uh, I think that's you know. Don't you think the Bama Michigan games got more blowout potential? I kind of think Washington that offense with Penix being healthy. Oh, you think they blow out yeah. Texas? I think Washington could blow out Texas. I got you. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Like, I honestly think that's the that's the most likely. If I'm taking up all the outcomes. You don't think we're underrating Texas a little bit with all this? This is Because I didn't watch a lot of Texas this year. Like, I tuned in for some of their bigger games. But, like, I just kind of, you know, they're in the Big 12. Like, the let's Big 12 is not great. They're going to win that thing anyway. I don't I don't think it'll be a blowout. But my thought process is this is, like, 
Maybe Washington's defense is better than I'm actually thinking they are. Maybe they are real. Well, they're better than we thought they were in Vegas. And it's a 45-20 to 20 game. Something like yeah. that. With turnovers. Turnovers yeah. don't always do that. Pick six, scoop and score, you know, yours gets banged up. Then Something like that, yeah. Curtains. Where I just think this Alabama-Michigan game is going to be just slobber knocker. Like, we're going to run the football, and it's going to be about 10 to 7. No, it'll be, high, be, it'll be higher than I, that. But. I, I'd like to see that. Actually. It'll be higher than that, but I think I think that you will see people slipping around. You know the Rose Bowl, New Year's oh, Day. Yeah. It always, you know, new turf, et cetera, et cetera. There's going to be some slipping and sliding going on out so there. So you got Bama taking on Washington in the final. I got, I do, yeah, I got uh, Michigan taking on Washington in the final. I think I'm taking Michigan over Washington. I think Michigan was the national title. What do you got? I I would say. Oh, dang it, dude. I, I think Washington can actually win it. I do, too. I think Washington can beat Alabama. Oof. Um, Love to see it. As crazy as that is to say, but it would have to be a shootout for sure. Um, that is pretty crazy to think, though, because the Milrow run game, the power run game, is going to make life difficult on Washington. Um uh, but I'll, I'll be the I'll be the guy that thinks Washington can win the national Do championship it. this year. Love sure. it, Judah Newby, the final decision maker in all things <laughs> decision picks Washington to win the title. I love it. I would love to see that happen. But I think Michigan's going to be the national title. We got some ga- days coming up to that. I can't wait though. It's going to be a great college football playoff. And we'll take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to wrap up the show with a little uh, little Christmas spirit, as you will. Bill Shonley, the mayor of Rip City, man, he uh, he did a lot for this program. And uh, he recorded some Christmas stories for John Canzano, and we like to play them during the Christmas time. Nice little tradition just to hear his voice. Uh, never, never gets old to hear Bill Shonley uh, read some Christmas stories. So we'll do that when we come back. Bald Face Truth. Bald Face Truth, Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby. We're in here. We're talking uh, Christmas. No, we're talking cultural playoff. We talked about that. Uh, I like. I like I like Michigan. I like Michigan to win the whole thing. Judah likes Washington to win the national title. I can't wait. I can't wait for those four games. Um, now, I've only been on this show for maybe a year and a half or so. I feel like I've been here way longer, but it, it's been like a year and a half. It was like summertime last year. I came in, and uh, I learned last year that you guys do traditions of, uh, you know, Bill Shonley and uh, his voice. You know, of course, we'll play the night before Christmas Another day, not today. That's not the day we're doing the night before Christmas. But uh, Sean's was very, very nice with his time with John Canzano, even though, you know, the Blazers and John had their beefs, said the Blazers didn't want Sean's to come on the show. Sean said, whatever, I'm coming on the show. And, uh, you know, it's always just good to hear his voice. Uh, you know, as, as a Blazer fan growing up in the area, I grew up in Milwaukee. I grew up a Blazer fan. I remember listening to the Blazer games on the radio, and it was always Sean Lee. You know, listen to that voice, just hearing it like it just brings you back to better, better times as a Blazer fan. But just, you know, a good person is Bill Shonley. Um, and so we're going to I'm going to play some uh, this audio that Bill Shonley had. Uh, you know, this is uh, just him and John talking about, you know, favorites, favorite Christmas movies. Like if I say, Sean's, let's watch a Christmas movie. What do we want? Are we watching Jimmy Stewart? And it's yeah. a wonderful yeah. life. And- yeah. Dottie gives me a bad time about that. What do you want to watch that show again? Well, it comes around every year. It's a great show, Dottie. Honey, I want to see that. Yeah, I love it. I know a lot of the lines, and then you have to refresh your memory when yeah. the season comes about. But, yeah, that's one of my all-time favorites. I tell you what, what I would give to watch a Christmas movie with Bill Shonley, and he's giving me the lines of the movie, Judah, that would be unbelievable. Like, that would be that would be wild. Like, you know, I'm friends with, uh, I'm friends with the voice now, 
Travis Demers. Like I'm friends with him and he says like he will his son will be shooting hoops and he announces his games for him. Like how sick would that be just to have like the voice of the team like announcing you, but you know, you're watching a Christmas movie and Sean's is just that voice just doing all the voices. I, I mean, how awesome would that be? I tell you what, I think the Sean's could make even Charlie Brown's teacher sound good. Mm. You know, I would love to hear a Bill Shawnley impression of this teacher of the, of the teacher. Wah, 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 wah. But when Sean's does it, it's like, oh man, just like honey dripping. It sounds great. I'm with you. I think uh, you know we were blessed with uh, Sean's great voice, just incredible presence. Uh, getting his voice over a microphone in Portland was was incredible. So for him to do any uh, readings or or anything, speaking at weddings, you got to do that. And uh, he was he was a unique unique talent. Bill Shondley, uh talking with John Kanzana here more about some uh, Christmas things. As a kid, was there a Christmas gift that you got that you really that really stands out that you remember that one Christmas? Oh yeah. What was it? It was a Jean Autry cowboy outfit and a pearl handled pistol. Oh man. In a holster. And they got me little cowboy boots <laughs> and I just love that thing. I need a photo of this. <laughs> is there a photo of Bill Sean? I just uh, stopped there in the middle there. Uh, yeah, Sean's. I mean, just Christmas gifts. That'd be great. I do have some fun Christmas gifts, but this is, uh, we'll give a little bit of a preview here. Uh, you know, we're going to play the night before Christmas, probably tomorrow, probably throughout the Christmas times uh, as we lead up to Christmas. But we're going to give a little bit of a, a uh, little bit of a show of the Polar Express from the one Bill Shonley. Uh Just sit back, relax. It's wintertime. It's almost Christmas. Enjoy the voice of Bill Shonley. On Christmas Eve, many years ago, I lay quietly in my bed. I did not rustle the sheets. I breathed slowly and silently. I was listening for a sound, a sound that a friend had told me that I would never hear. The ringing bells of Santa's sleigh. There is no Santa, my friend had insisted. But I knew he was wrong. Late that night, I did hear sounds, though not of ringing bells. From outside came the sounds of hissing steam and squeaking metal. I looked through my window, and I saw a train, yes, a train, standing perfectly still, right in front of my house. It was wrapped in an apron of steam. Snowflakes fell lightly around it. A conductor stood at the open door of one of the cars. He took a large pocket watch from his vest. Then he looked up at my window. I put on my slippers and robe, and I tiptoed downstairs and out the door. I ran up to him. Well, you coming? He said. Where? I asked. Why, to the North Pole, of course! That was his answer. This is the Polar Express! I took his outstretched hand, and he pulled me aboard. The train was filled with other children, all in their pajamas and nightgowns. We sang Christmas carols and ate candies, some as white as snow. We drank hot cocoa as thick and rich 
as melted chocolate bars. And outside, the lights of towns and the villages flickered in the distance as the Polar Express raced northward. Soon there were no more lights to be seen. We traveled through cold, dark forests where lean wolves roamed and white-tailed rabbits hid from our train as it thundered through the quiet wilderness. We climbed mountains so high it seemed as if we would scrape the moon. But the Polar Express never slowed down. Faster and faster we ran along, rolling over peaks and through valleys like a car on a roller coaster. The mountains turned into hills, the hills to snow-covered plains. We crossed a barren desert of ice, the great polar ice cap. Lights appeared in the distance. They looked like the lights of a strange ocean liner sailing on a frozen sea. There, said the conductor, is the North Pole. A little, little preview, part one. We'll play part two tomorrow. Uh, finish up the Polar Express. We'll also give you the night before Christmas. Uh, but we're going to wrap it up here. want to thank, uh, of course, John Kanzano letting us fill in. Thank Judah, newbie as well. He's my guy helping me out throughout the way. Thank Tori Jones for hopping on, talking some Trailblazers. Go check out the podcast. He gave out some great stuff. Uh, what to watch for for what Trailblazers is coming up forward. But uh, I'm Stephen Vaughn. I want to thank everyone for listening and all that. And, uh, you know, I got the Blazers tonight, plus seven. No big deal. Don't don't hold me to it. Don't don't call me out if I'm wrong. But I like the Blazers plus seven tonight. Give me the Blazers. Come on, baby. All right. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, Stephen Von Rapp here. Bald face truth on the bald face truth radio. Never catch you tomorrow. <laughs>